I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, thinking about making peace with some people who live out there in the sand. Bionic. Yeah, I'm just glad you didn't steal the thunder from our guest here. Yeah, that was that was not very good foreshadowing. Yeah, it was like a few seconds in advance foreshadowing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you for another week of the Future Quake Show. Uh, we have yet another very special guest that will be extremely thought-provoking this week. We have uh, Dr. Jeffrey Seif, who is the spokesman for Zola Levitt Ministries, a uh, very popular ministry, I'm sure, with many of our listeners, who's also written a new book called Making Our Peace with the Warriors in the Sand. And it is a very eye-opening book, and we're going to talk about an exhortation from the Bible to respect the Arab peoples. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a fascinating talk. What, what did you think about it? I thought it was very good. Um, to be honest, it seems like so often we get on Future Quake, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and there's just not a lot of back-and-forth dialogue, yeah. I feel. It's more of a, like, what's your story? Which yeah. is fine. I, I'm not yeah. complaining about right. this, but uh, I feel like the real golden thing about this whole thing was the dialogue that we had yeah. with uh, well, and uh, and, Dr. Seif. And they're going to see it's very respectful yeah. and hopefully constructive mm-hmm. uh, in it. And uh, it's a very special time. We hope you all enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are now going to our first segment of our interview with Dr. Seif, and then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, a uh, big fan of this next guest, Bionic. You know, you need to pick another different middle name here. You've used that one time before, I think. Oh, I don't know. I, I think that uh, perhaps not. But I know this. you mean it this time because yes. this week <laughs> we have a voice from the past uh, coming back to us, amazingly coming back again, mm-hmm. Dr. Jeffrey Seif, who is the spokesman for Zola Levitt Ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to be talking this week about an exhortation from the Bible to respect the Arab peoples. Mm-hmm. From a very interesting direction and yeah. from a very enlightened source uh, of someone who has blessed me even just in recent days, very much so. And we're we're looking so much forward to what we're going to be discussing about here. Dr. Seif, I want to tell you it's an honor to have you back on the Future Quake show after a three-year, brief three-year absence. Uh, I know it was the time of Jacob's woe for you. Uh, <laughs> and after your return from Petra, now it's finally over and back with us. So it's great to have you back on the show. Hey, it's a thrill to be here. Thank you. And uh, we've gone through several geologic ages of changes since you were with us last time, a different station, a different format and such. So uh, we also have many, many new listeners since the time that you were last with us. So could you please very briefly explain and let us know a little bit more about your background, your position within Zola Levitt Ministries and the mission and scope of the ministry? Sure. My background, I'm of German-Jewish extract, uh, came to faith in Jesus in the early 70s surrendered to her call to the ministry, missions work, pastoral work, uh, Bible college, seminary, master's doctorate, Southern Methodist University, professor, 21 years. Most recently, in conjunction with all else, uh, in the wake of Zola Levitt's passing, was asked to take the teaching helm of that. Uh, like you guys, Zola was in broadcasting. He did it principally in television. He began in radio. Had a long-running television program teaching on the Jewish roots of the faith, Bible prophecy-related fields. And so now, with his 
passing I've been asked to take the helm there. As I've said, principally I'm interested in helping Jewish people come to know Jesus and helping Jesus people come to know the Jews, mm-hmm. as well as dealing with issues related to Israel, Bible prophecy, and the like. Okay. Do you have a formal title there, like most worshipful or anything like that, that goes with your position? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, they just, people just call me Jeff. Okay. Well, I didn't know. I wanted to put it uh, on the press release and in the headlines. I'm going to make yeah. sure I got that right. I know you're a spokesman, but you're much more than that. And I didn't know if Satrap was appropriate or some <laughs> no, other designation. No, no, no. The, you know, it's – no, that'll work. Just... Okay. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're, you're going to be in for a very, very interesting discussion from a gentleman who's been doing a – well, decades of study on this topic, but some very interesting thinking lately, which is what we all love here, mm-hmm. all of our Futurian listeners on Future Quake. Um, to jump right in to your new book, um, can you tell us first the, the name uh, of your book that, yes, that you've recently released? Sure. It's called Making Our Peace with the Warriors of the Sand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that caught my attention when I was thumbing through the Prophecy uh, in the News uh, magazine. Uh, that's carrying this book, and you can blame them for m- my contact with you. So those, uh-huh. we're the kind of people that get those kind of things, just to warn you. But when I saw this title, and then I saw your name at the bottom, I thought, this is going to be very interesting if it's what I think it is. Uh, and obviously you're, you're talking about having a different look, a different vision uh, on how we address the Arab people, particularly people of faith. Uh, and from a biblical perspective. So uh, jumping into that, how, how do we in the American church misunderstand the Arab peoples and, and, and sometimes stereotype them? Well, there's so little understanding. We knew nothing about Arabs and Islam. For us, this was the stuff of Disney animation. For us, it was genies and bottles. It was flying carpets. It was... Lawrence of Arabia. We knew that Jews over in Israel had some problem with those people over there, but we were clueless. All of a sudden, September 11th, slam, there's some wake-up call that there's 1.5 billion or whatever people that might have an issue with us. Mm -hmm. uh, Now, they do all carry scimitars, though, right? That still is (laughs) true. They all march around 20 hours a day making... Yeah, on a little grinding wheel, grinding yeah, them for us. Make so. them sharp to get us. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. What, are no, there so, some more subtle ways that we do that, even within the walls of our churches? Well, I think that, uh, in, you know, there is a kind of innate prejudice, I think especially in circles that I'm inclined toward, people that, you know, that are Bible literalists, that... Uh, want to make a place for Israel and Bible prophecy, individuals that are game to re-explore the Jewish roots and celebrate that. I think in those worlds particularly, uh, Arab peoples can get demonized into becoming non-persons. They're just little more than cannon fodder for the Battle of Armageddon. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a kind of blanket race hate under the guise of biblical sanction. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, then... The voices raised on being more kindly disposed and humane toward Arab peoples goes to the Christian left. Uh, personally, I'd like to reclaim some of that ground. I think Jesus beckons individuals to endeavor to be peacemakers. We're not always acceptable, but I think that's a good posture to have. And so as someone who uh, 
comes from a framework that's very supportive of Israel, etc. I wanted to, you know, throw down the gauntlet and give my two cents about what I think's involved in making our peace with the warriors of the sand. I talk, like hearing that. Talk about a real future quake. I, I, I feel my chair shaking across the table right now. <laughs> uh, you know something else you said, and and, and I'll, I'll say this having come from a, from a more conservative right-wing tradition where I come from and in my beliefs and background, what you said about if, if I heard you right, that there are some things going on in the left. Obviously, there's things that we disagree with, even between fellow evangelicals on the left. But there are some things like this that there's ground that we need to not give up in what we believe. Uh, I don't know how to classify myself anymore, particularly after doing this show. Uh, but <laughs> I do. You've, I talked, do, you've talked yourself out of yourself, huh? <laughs> I, I think. I think so. I disagree with myself all the time. But uh, but but the fact that you said. Um, we, we, we let these lines be defined, not only just from Arab peoples and us, but left, right, so many different ways we do it. Rather than taking one issue at a time and individually setting them, particularly with God's word, and working it out one issue at a time. And uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so refreshed to hear you say that. And, and the particular part that we're going to look at now is particular insight from the Bible. The bulk of your, of your book goes squarely to stories and incidents in the Bible uh, for your justification of your, of your thesis here. And another general question I want to ask you first is, is that in our culture, beyond the stereotypes, how are Muslim Arabs, Christians, and Jews all raised to hate each other? How, how does it, the pot just keep simmering and boiling? How does this come about? Well, frankly, in our culture, I think it's a little less, that Americans place a premium on there's no religious litmus test for acceptability in the culture, and that lends itself toward, you know, viva la différence. In the, uh, in the Arabian world, however, maybe there's some tolerance of the people of the book, Christians and Jews, that are advocated every now and again, but there's a lot of simmering discontent uh, in um, in, in classical Islamic literature where Christians and Jews are likened to apes and pigs and there are political issues with the emergent state of Israel mm-hmm. and kind of a disdain from the womb. People are enculturated to hate Jews in Israel, Israel particularly, I should say, mm-hmm. and Israeli Jews, of course. Uh, and uh, so I think there's a little more of uh, individuals that are inculcated into hatred in the Arab uh, Islamic world. Uh, much less in the Christian world and in the Jewish world in Israel, per se, while there are people that have attitude, there's over a million, um, you know, Arab citizens, and I think that modern Israel is wrestling with how to make room for Arab friendlies. The question of how to deal with belligerents, people are up in arms there and thinking that we need to get a little tougher these days. But I think it's people are more enculturated into hatred um, in the Arab Muslim world than in the uh, Christian or Jewish world, personally. Well, I have to admit, having grown up in the Bible Belt and having read Bible prophecy literature since the mid-70s, uh-huh. since the late great planet Earth, I feel like I have been marinated in the understandings that Arab people and Muslim people spent their night and day just dreaming about how they were going to cut my head off right. and the rest well, of my family. Well, that definitely needs to be corrected. and. Uh, I, I wanted to weigh in in part to offer a corrective to that. That's not true. Yeah. And the same thing I could be said true if I drive down several of the streets around here and look on the signs of the churches, of our evangelical churches, and most of them are consumed with things about Obama being the Antichrist and a Muslim or about uh, stopping the Muslims and things like this. And um, 
of course, you know, we've got uh, one person even exercising the Quran burning coming up now uh, yeah. at a church. And I won't consider them to be typical uh, in that respect. But I, I do think we, we, we actually create a culture here that may be more subtle, but it has some of the same kind of symptoms as well, too. Well, again, there's extremists everywhere, and these are unsettling times, and, um, you know, people are set on edge, and, you know, it's also very new. People weren't even aware of Islam, and now there's, you know, what do we do with Islamic belligerents, and America's been at war with an Islamic country, just get it pulling out of that now, and I think it takes a while to sort through this stuff, but I hope that cooler heads prevail, mm-hmm. both well. in the church and in the state. Well, and your book is is like a, a cold bucket of water, I think, to to a large extent, in trying to do that. Let's let's go back in in history and time back into the Bible. And it's funny, I saw your book right after I had just read these passages in my own Bible study, and I've been asking the pastors at my church some of the same questions you bring up about some of the promises that were given to Ishmael and, and some of uh, uh, his offspring uh, that came from him. Um, Going back to Ishmael, what is the nature and evidence of God's intervention through Ishmael? Well, it seems to me that this is a, a fellow that was thrown under the bus along with his mother. That uh, Hagar, according to the biblical narrative, was a domestic worker, and Sarah kind of leveraged uh, her to, you know, bear a child that Sarah would ostensibly uh, be the mother of. It didn't turn out according to plan, and. Uh, what happens here, this young domestic worker is in effect thrown out. Abraham is chagrined by that. Um, but finally, with promises from the Lord in the biblical text, I'm going to be with him and protect him and make him strong, and so be it. You know, Abraham just kind of acquiesces to it, but it certainly wasn't his heart in the matter. But uh, what happens is, is this boy is set free with his mother with promises, that I think are misconstrued. The biblical text says that he will be a wild man and his hand mm-hmm. will be against his brethren. And that's often construed as to say, look at those darn people. They're wild crazies. Right. But I think, you know, in a world where Hagar is always being acted upon by forces beyond her control, she has no voice, and she's just being, you know, forced by circumstance to hear a promise that the young man's going to be strong, not pushed around, will take a stand amongst his brethren and be successful, I think that's a good promise, not a bad one. I'm not minded to construe that as some kind of blanket race hate. Look at those jaded, wild people. The, in, in our Futurian listeners, I want you to re- remember and point out that this word is coming from an evangelical leader, a Christian of Jewish heritage that is making these points out of the Bible itself. Now, one thing I find sort of uncomfortable is the fact that actually she and her son, Hagar and Ishmael, were persecuted of some extent by the, the matriarch of Isaac's line and were actually rescued by the angel of the Lord after experiencing this. Were they not? Well, you could put it like that. The... I'm more inclined to look at it as a little cat fight amongst women. Uh, there's certain tensions, you know, and here's this this one woman who's used to doing the laundry. Now she's the favored lady with the child, and and the first lady gets upset. I tend to look at it as in-house political intrigue, um, and uh, rather than you know out and outright persecution, you know, she's not sticking pins in her and torturing her, but it's just. It's just an arrangement that's not working out. It's a world gone bad. 
But, but, but what I find interesting is that in, in both cases with Hagar, at least she thought that her life may have been in danger, if I, if I understand correctly. I mean, she was sent out first herself and then with her child. And in the second instance, she thought her child would die out there uh, yes. if it were not the intervention of the angel of the Lord. Well, yes. Here's the way I look at that. The way I construe it, they all lived out there. At the time, it's not like Abraham had had a big house in Beverly Hills and he's throwing the girl out in a pop, in a, in a pop tent. They're all Bedouins. They're all out there in the earth with, 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 with not much to speak of. And uh, so it's not like Abraham is mm-hmm. super secure and this girl was thrown out under the bus. His protection is being withdrawn from her uh, as, you know, a get, uh, an effective bill of divorcement. There's a sense in which, yes, she goes and it's scary out there. But the truth of the matter is he's in a world where it's scary out there as well. Well, I, under- I understand that. But in that culture, not having a husband was almost a virtual death sentence, it seems like to me, in that rough world that they lived in. In fact, that was part of the energy of the story about Ruth uh, with Naomi, was that you know she, she had a very destitute life destiny without a husband at that time. So uh, she, she sent out in that area, and it reminds me of the stories of the Bible, you know, says that he will be like a father to the fatherless, and, and, and in a sense even a husband to the widow. And he comes to the rescue of Hagar, and, and and this is the same passage I point out to people that talk about the vicious, bloodthirsty God of the Old Testament that they read with all the killing and, and things like that that go on with people who are skeptical of Christianity. And I say I point to a, to a God of the Old Testament that goes out to Hagar, who's been rejected by others, and he is the one who truly cares about her and makes promises, even to the extent where she says that she has seen and met God. Right. And that's a very unique position within Scripture and with the, the players in the Bible, is it not? And to, I agree to make with that you claim. One hundred percent. And I think that's a story that needs to be told in order to counterbalance this nuanced race hatred in the guise of evangelical purity and good theology and Israel loving. God and doesn't fit in our box sometimes. In other no, words, no. Then we need to fix the box because. Uh, I do not believe, in, I, I think that any kind of race hatred is problematic for me as a Jew and as a believer in Jesus. Just like book burning um, is is problematic for me as a Jew and as a believer, this kind of right. redneck hatred just doesn't work for me. But now, if they're going to burn your book, you'd hope they'd at least be able to pay the, the full re- list price, hopefully, before <laughs> yeah, they burn yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Help I the want minist- to get my royalty. Help the ministry, later. at least. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, it's funny. You can almost make a rogues gallery of people in the Bible who messed up people's convention in view of God and who he loves and loves. You think about the, the, the Roman centurion who had faith that was not found in all of Israel. You think of Cornelius, who ha- was highly regarded in heaven even before he got the word from Peter. Uh, and I think there's others that would be in that, you know, in that same scenario, too. Uh, and so this should be something we should anticipate from God, is it not? That, that yes. his circle of love is much broader than, than what we have an inclination to put him in? Yes, I agree. Um, to, to move forward, there's some other fascinating examples you point out in your book. Um, can you give us some more examples of Arabs, Egyptians, etc., who married into and became part of the covenant people, even part yeah, of the bloodline the, of Christ? Probably the, the greatest Jew in the Hebrew Bible, Moses. Uh, his wife, I mean, he left Egypt running for his life. He marries a Midianite woman. And um, the Midianites fared from Saudi Arabia, Bedouin people, 
from the northwest part of Saudi Arabia. She was dark-skinned Midianite on top. And, uh, in fact, her si Moses' sister wasn't the least bit kindly disposed mm -hmm. toward her. But uh, the greatest man in the Hebrew Bible uh, was married to an Arab woman. Uh, the greatest king, arguably, difficulties notwithstanding David, uh, is descended from Ruth, the Moabitess, who would be a Jordanian. Uh, there's even an argument that not only was his grandmother um, of Arab extract, if you will, but even his mother, Jewish sages argue that David, uh, the reason why Jesse didn't want to uh, put him forward as a legitimate possibility to be a king was because he wasn't a legitimate son like the others, but rather the fruit of a love child with an Arab woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is in part the way it's construed when David says, in sin did my mother conceive me, in the Psalms, and beyond that you can recall when David's on the run from Saul, he's going to take his family over to the Moabites, and they're going to give him quarter without question. Mm -hmm. So there's an argument in the Jewish world that David's mother was of, uh, of, of that ilk. Beyond that, there are various examples uh, in the Hebrew Bible of individuals being kindly disposed toward the peoples of the sands. In the New Testament, the first to acknowledge Jesus uh, were Arabs that came with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, commodities typically traded by Arabs, people from the East, arguably Arab people coming in fulfillment of prophecies made previously in Isaiah. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, fascinating to me is the most famous apostle in the New Testament, Paul, called the apostle to the Gentiles. What's interesting is Paul was not an Israeli. He was from Tarsus, which is in modern Syria. According to the text, he was on the way to Damascus. Excuse me, Tarsus would be in modern Turkey. Right. According to the biblical text, he's on his way to Damascus, which is in modern Syria. He gets knocked off his horse, according to his own testimony, after his experience. He's going to spend three years in Arabia and then go for the better part of two weeks to Jerusalem, where he's going to wrestle some and then go back to Tarsus in Turkey for ten years until finally Barnabas picks him up as Barnabas has been dispatched back to Antioch, Syria. What's interesting is the famous apostle to the Gentiles cut his teeth working with Arab peoples. I think there are various examples like that that would tell me that, you know, if I was an Arab person coming to faith, and I'm pleased to inform that there are many Arab peoples now that are coming to faith in Jesus. It's a fascinating Amen. story. I think we need to find a positive story to show room in the biblical narrative of God's love for them and them dealing with him positively. Amen. Positively working with that narrative. You get the stamp of approval from my, from my area. That's Amen. good to hear somebody say that. For yeah, you. it's it's uh, been a woeful desert looking for, for a good word like that. Yeah. You know, um, I've heard many Christians tell me that it is impossible uh, for Arab people to get along with uh, uh, Jewish people in Israel. Uh, that there's something innate about them, that there's just no way. And, of course, there's been a struggle, you know, uh, since, since the, the time of... Actually, Ishmael was, was pretty well disposed with Isaac. I think they had many incidents that were cooperative. But, uh, you know, you're talking later with Esau and Jacob and, and other problems that were regional there. But, you know, I always point when they say that it's, it's absolutely impossible for them to live and coexist. And I think about the time of Solomon. At the time of Solomon, it sure seemed like... There were a lot of very, very diverse people from diverse backgrounds completely at peace and doing trade uh, during the Golden Age in that period, as long as they were all benefiting economically. 
Well, you're kind of, you know, serving me a point on a silver platter. Yes, even beginning with David, uh, when David comes into his own, uh, Hiram, who was in uh, what would be modern Lebanon, is sending gifts and uh, participating with David in the building of his house, and then he wants to participate with the building of the Beit Hamikdos, the temple. The temple arguably was built with Arab resources and craftsmen. Beyond that, even the livestock that are sacrificed in the temple, a lot of this is brought through Arab traders. Uh, you find in the Solomonic era, where um, you know the Queen of Sheba comes from, you know, you know, the Arab lands, and comes and. Uh, um, you know, relates to to Solomon, and it harks to a world, a, a better world, a kinder and gentler world, as you say. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, would that those days returned. It, it shows the possibility. Well, I've heard so many times in Christian teaching, uh, prophecy teaching, and things that the Arab people have always hated the Jews, have always wanted to destroy them, and they've always hate them the whole time. And I look back to those eras. Yeah, that, and I think that's clearly it, not the case historically. In the last days, it is written that there's going to be some bad things happen in that area, and that's the way it is. We don't know for sure when the day is. We think it's soon, but we don't know. But but we well, do have precedent that people can actually get along. Let me just go back to the point a little and expand it uh, to show how untrue that it is. During the days of... Uh, what we call Christendom, where there was a particular strong Christian imposition in Europe, Jews fled Europe to the Arab lands, where Jews uh, uh, really got a bad deal from from uh, Catholic Christians, and Jews counted themselves fortunate to be able to be with with Arab peoples, where there was more of a flourishing of the arts and literature and sciences. In fact, the Jewish Bible. Uh, the Masoretic text with the valve pointings. Those valve pointings are named after Arab terms. The early uh, Jewish works were penned in Arabic, uh, not Hebrew, interestingly. So there was a world in a bygone era where there was a lot more intellectual interplay. Uh, difficulties notwithstanding, Jews got a much better deal in Arab lands than they did in, mm-hmm. in quote, Christian lands in Europe, northern and southern Europe by far. I can hear people renting their clothes right now. I hear, I hear 10,000 hands changing the radio dial <laughs> if they're all new, at once. <laughs> if they're new listeners. Now, our old old hand people, I don't think they'd be surprised at this. We are just so excited to hear from a, from a prominent person like yourself this information. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, still thinking about making peace. Ironic. That's good. Yep. That's good. And not making people in pieces, right? No. Like real I'm, peace. I'm more of the, like, wow, look at, here are some... Here's some people who we can convert. You know, Doesn't that solve a lot of things if we keep things in that perspective? Yeah. We look at Christians and pre-Christians. Yeah. Those who haven't gotten the word yet, but yeah, better, are ready but to receive it. Yeah, we're gonna ha- gonna get it here in a minute. And that's how Paul looked at the Athenians mm-hmm. when he went there. Let me tell yeah. you about your unknown God. Yeah. You know, Doctor Seifeb, I just really cannot thank him enough for his willingness to come on our show mm-hmm. and very lucidly explain uh, his thoughts and and, and being constructive, I guess that's the big thing. It's a refreshing thing to see mm-hmm. in our evangelical leadership because it's a very prominent ministry. He has, mm-hmm. And I just hope it's a sign of things to come. Another yeah, sign great. is our friend Merv who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E 
at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go. That was fast. Got another great segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, a big fan of what uh, he said so far. Looking forward to the rest of this stuff. Bionic. And he, who we've not introduced today, is Dr. Jeffrey Seif, the spokesman for Zola Lovett Ministries, popular ministry, I'm sure, with many of our guests, Mm -hmm. who's also written a new book called Making Our Peace with the Warriors in the Sand, Mm -hmm. a very provocative title and subject matter, Mm -hmm. and we're going to be talking about it and the topic uh, of an exhortation from the Bible to respect the Arab peoples, Mm -hmm. something you will not hear on a lot of Christian radio. And we laid a good foundation yesterday in our first installment about the history of Ishmael and Hagar and how the angel of the Lord, some may say maybe it was Jesus, Mm -hmm. actually came to their aid and made many promises to them. Mm -hmm. And Hagar even claimed that she had seen God. Yeah. Which is something you don't see very often in the no, Bible. No, usually they use that to like uh-huh. somehow demonize Muslims. God had, well, I mean, just even Bible characters yeah. have necessarily say they've seen God. Yeah. But Hagar was very unique in the, the level of her exposure to God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Dr. Seif, who comes of Jewish background, mm-hmm. uh, is making this call that we should, we, we should be more respectful mm-hmm. of how God highly regards their people. And this is coming from amazing and refreshing quarters, mm-hmm. this message. Absolutely. And uh, we have more to cover in this. We get even deeper in some issues, and, and I get into some... You know, Hot rough water. stuff there, yeah. yeah. And uh, but it makes for some interesting discussion, yeah. I think. It's super respectful and it's nice, and everybody's good to each other. And uh, it was good to see that Doctor Seif is not—I don't want to say intimidated—but you ask him a hard question, he's not put off by it. No, and he doesn't try to talk around it either. Yeah, he's like, "Look, this is this is where I am at." You mm-hmm. know, just straight up. Well, and uh, and also in a manner that's uh, meant to be positive for mm-hmm. all peoples. Very honest. And I think and that's honest, what Jesus honest would be. Honest and loving, not honest and mean right. or, right. you know, loving and dishonest. Well, you all be the judge. Uh, we'll have an interesting segment here. Uh, it's the second installment with Dr. Jeffrey Steiff talking about his book, Making Our Peace with the Warriors in the Sand. And we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. And there were even other acts of kindness that, that are replete throughout Scripture, correct? We're, we're both Jews doing things on behalf of Arab peoples and vice versa. It was commonplace. Yes, certainly more than now. There were, there were difficulties um, that, that came with the emergence of Islam. But, yeah. but even, even then, it, it wasn't impossible necessarily. But in the pre-Islamic era, I just see, um, you know, 
like we mentioned, like you had alighted upon, and I draw upon it in my book in the in, in the days of David and Solomon and roundabout. With there's all kinds of biblical interplay between Arab peoples and Jewish people, which I look to tease out in my book, making our peace with the warriors of the sand. Well, I, I can't in this brief time really bring out all of the information you bring, which is. Uh, a wonderful information all our listeners need to actually go and document in their own mind and share with others. But you even show evidences where, beyond showing some of their skill in alphabet and things like that to help the Jewish people, there were elements of Arab wisdom that were a benefit to Jewish thinking and thought, were it not? It had yeah, an impact on our, on our evolving belief system? In the book of Proverbs, which I really am a little hesitant to call a book, because it's not really a book, it's a collection of sayings. Uh, it's not a book in the classic sense, where, where, where one author starts at the beginning and finishes at the end. In the book of, um, what we call the book of Proverbs, contained therein are, uh, you know, Arab Proverbs. <laughs> it's rather interesting. They're even noted as such, that these are not necessarily the property. Uh, uh, you know, we're told that Solomon's gathering collective wisdom and uh, not all of these proverbs are written by Solomon, some by others whom he judged to be worthy. It's like that with Psalms. People said, well, David wrote all the Psalms. No, half of them. Uh, there are other authors. And so there are Arab writers in the proverbs. What percentage of the Christian population would you think know that there's Arab writings in our scriptures? Oh, I'm clueless. Most don't just know. don't know. Yeah, you know, and in all due respect, no one has... No one has bother to point it out yeah yeah i mean for all of the countless trillions of man hours of time you know everyone who's been part of christendom has spent feverishly pouring over the scriptures there are these kind of things that we don't really hear that much about and 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 how it could solve a lot of um animosity that's totally unnecessary if we if we had some of these kind of things staring right in front of us in the scripture and meditated on a little more, mm. yeah, there was one other point that I wanted to ask you. And this has sort of a future reference re regarding to potential kindness extended between the Jews and Arabs. Um, you know, there's some people that think the the place of refuge that the uh, children of Israel will run to uh, after the abomination of desolation is possibly Petra, and there's a strong belief that's what it is. I'm not sure if 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 or if not. But that's actually in Jordan, is it not? And if if they were to be taken to Jordan for one reason or not, and that would be a geographically a a, a region, a direction that seems would make sense to me, um, would this be another case where Arab people might be actually providing refuge to the Jews? I guess well, Jesus is on record, like as you'd noted in the wake of this desolating sacrilege, flee to the mountains. Right. And there's a reference in Eusebius, an ancient ecclesiastical historian, that talks about how in the, in the wake of uh, the debacle in 70 A.D., or in advance of that, Jews fled um, and left. So there is this tradition of Jordan being a place of reference, Petra particularly, which is there nestled in the mountains. You have to go through some maze to find it. So it would have been more of a refuge then to a few than for Israel today, yeah. in part because I've been to Petra on a number of occasions. It's not going to house a number of people. Uh -huh. Plus, even if a bunch of people go to that mountain hideaway, there they are. All it takes is someone flying over an airplane and dropping a bomb and incinerating them. Well, so, it, it would have to be supernatural protection, obviously. Yeah, I don't for, I don't. I don't know how that would literally play out today, yeah, yeah. because in today's modern world, it doesn't afford the protection 
uh, as it did in antiquity. In antiquity, there were lots of resources there. There was wealth, food, staples, trade. Now it's just a, you know a barren place in the middle of nowhere, basically, and uh, you know Spartan resources. And again, yeah. if there's thousands of people, you know, there hiding in that little valley in that little area carved out. They just get blown away by a plane flying overhead. So. But, but it's curious that in, in the prophetic scriptures, it seems like Moab or Jordan, modern Jordan, has sort of a protective barrier built over it somewhat, is it not? Well, only, only. I mean, what I think of offhand, Jesus does talk about, you know, fleeing you know, to the mountains, and those are the mountains to the east, to Jordan. You know, I don't know exactly what that means. Right. Well, but, there's, uh, there's a number of other passages. I, I know God has his issues to address with the people of Moab. But in one sense, I thought they were, were extended some measure of protection. Uh, you know, even, there, even Edom, to some extent. Well, there's a history of protection, actually. It, you have this as noted previously with David and his family. Beyond that, in the Maccabees, it's intertestamental literature, uh, from which the Hanukkah story comes. There's reference there to... Uh, kind relationships between the Hasmoneans and those that dwelt in what would be Jordan today. So again, it's overly simplistic to say, by golly, those people, they're all jaded and condemned, and you know, to bring to bear all those tensions on history or biblical literature, because that's overstated. You know, there's one passage that I thought of in Scripture when I saw your book and the premise of it that always was, to me, pretty compelling and people don't make much big deal about, and that's, I believe it's Isaiah 19, where he talks about his dealing with the people of Egypt and Assyria or the Syria area. But at the end, he talks about a restoration where he calls the people of Egypt my people and Assyria the work of my hands. In, in the same breath that he talks about Israel being his inheritance. Can you comment on that? On yeah, what that leads to you, what it might, what it might foretell for the future? Yeah, what I look to do is, in my book, at the risk of just sounding like, like I'm responding by using an opportunity to peddle merchandise, <laughs> what, I, what I like to do is survey the prophets. What, what do they have to say that speaks too forward about these Arab peoples roundabout in a positive manner? And I look at these various restoration motifs that are promised to these people roundabout. It's there in the literature. Even after a judgment runs its course for Israel and the nations roundabout, there's blessings promised to them as to the Jewish people at the ragged edge of time. That's a story worth telling. If I was an Arab person that was asking the question, you know, is this Jewish Christian religion, whatever it is, is it hostile toward me? No, I'd want to show how it makes room for how um, I, I think it's important to do that. Well, and I guess I'm led with the impression, and I know eschatology can be something that can be divisive amongst us and, and lead us off, off in tangents, but when I read those passages, to me it gives an indication that God is telling us, amongst a people group in a region, you're going to have militant versions that are going to find animosity with my people, and they're going to be dealt with. Uh, but then you're also going to find people in that same region whose hearts are going to be tender enough that under persecution, they're going to turn to me. So I read about those people in passages like this. I read other passages like Ezekiel 38 and others where people from the same kinds of regions respond in a different way to the people and they're, and they're judged and dealt with accordingly. The message being that at this stage, it seems awfully premature for us to take people of a certain region and prejudge them not knowing where they are in their heart concerning God and what God may be doing with them in their heart in the future. 
Well, here's the way I respond to that. Even uh, you can have people uh, in these worlds, and they're enculturated into ways of being, um, but we're individuals to have the opportunity to think for themselves and act for themselves instead of feeling obliged to throw the party line either by a forceful state or a forceful religion. If people had the opportunity to vote their mind and conscience, I don't know that there'd be all that hatred. There was a study that was done recently out of Georgetown University, and a million respondents were surveyed in the Arab world to get some sense of, no, I shouldn't say the Arab world, the Muslim world, in order to get some sense of what people really thought street level, never mind just, you know, what, uh, you know, a mullah is saying somewhere. And if I recall correctly, about 15% were what we'd called radical, which means that, you know, mm -hmm. 85% uh, were what we'd call moderate. The problem is, is the moderates don't speak and the mm -hmm. radicals are the loudest. And even those that are radical, a number of these would, would pay lip service to pom-poms, go get them, tiger, but yeah. they're not going to put bombs on their waist and go blow themselves up. But uh, it, it still is over 100 million people, so it's something to be concerned sure, about. Sure. But it's not the sentiments of the average you know, Arab Muslim bear in Yellowstone Park. Or it's not the sentiments of the average non-Arab Muslim. I think many are a lot more moderate. Right, and and 15% is not trivial. I mean, that is a significant danger, but it's a danger to them as well as to us. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure they feel that fear uh, because their lives are in danger as much as anybody yeah. if they speak up against it. And but, let me just comment yeah. in that regard, if I can, that, you know, if you look at, the, the carnage done in the Muslim world toward other Muslims that, that don't tote party lines. I mean, there were a million uh, Muslims that killed each other in the Iran-Iraq war. Mm -hmm. You know, and that happens, and it's page 32 of the New York Times. If a Jewish soldier shoots a rubber bullet with someone throwing Molotov cocktails and stones, that's page two of the New York Times. Um, well, something but, that uh, disturbs me even more, Dr. Seif, is that the example you gave of the Iran-Iraq you will find Western, European, and American mm -hmm. hands on a lot of these incidents. This, this is not always just Muslims going after Muslims or other religions. You, you, you fill in the blank. A lot of times you'll have manipulations from people in the West running these people. Or and you that's give some them, of the, you know, biological and chemical weapons. Yeah, the, the, these are, you know, it, to me it gets more complicated, and that's where we get looking at things like, you know, Revelation 18, where you've got the kings of the earth and the great merchants mm -hmm. of the earth, you know, using their sorcery to deceive the nations. And while these people are could be very, very dangerous, uh, we find a lot of times their their puppets and strings are being pulled from unexpected quarters. Okay. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't protest that point. I think it is overly simplistic that mm. we do live in a global marketplace and people are being acted upon by various forces. So, And there is, but, there, there is money and power to be gained by putting us at odds with each other. Yes, but it's my understanding that still that there is within Islamic states, you know, if you take the 22 nation states round about Israel, they tend to be despotic totalitarian regimes. And the life is a lot harsher uh, clamping down on dissent within the group, it's a lot more forceful. Uh, while in these larger geopolitical incidents and wars with a million killed, yeah, there's political intrigue from other circles. But mm -hmm. I do think that within Islamic cultures, it's much more uh, 
authoritarian. There's, there, there's mm-hmm. no pre on freedom of expression. Uh, diversity tends to be suppressed. There are strong men, and it is, it is a throwback to a, a lesser era. Well, and, and I don't dispute any of what you're saying. It's certainly there. Um, you know, from our studies have shown, this is going to sound real lefty of us, but the majority of the despots in the world, I think, have probably been placed by either British or American uh, interest yeah. to put most of those around the world in power. So I hate to, I hate to totally agree with you, Doctor Future, but I probably even put the number at higher. But so, so you know, it gets even more complicated when you think where 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 does the spinner stop? You know, yeah. at the cause of it. But to me, it's more it's more than a just a simple uh, geographical thing of who the bad guys and good guys are, even a religion thing. You have people who are power hungry, and they will manipulate anybody. You've got power hungry people running Hamas and Hezbollah. And sometimes in the Israeli government, sometimes in the American government, and they will exploit their own citizens for their own personal agenda, regardless of what the people think or manipulate them. And I, I, to me, I, I think we see that more consistent with biblical scripture uh, of, of the way the world works. You know, I mentioned Revelation 18 again. That's that's the worldview that it seems to be created. Yeah. Uh, we're given a picture of, of again of who the bad guys in the source, but it seems like you peel the onion back, it goes deeper and deeper on who's pulling the strings. Well, going back to your, you know, when you initially weighed in on the point, it's my understanding that Western, uh, European, Christian, imperialists had their hands in the Middle East and pulled out, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, a little less than a hundred years ago, actually, and created these various states along northern Africa, and, you know, Jordan was created, uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, Iraq, Saudi Arabia. I mean, things were negotiated. And there is a sense in which Westerners did have a hand in in in, in creating the deck of cards that we're playing with right now. But before then, before there was an America to be a player, and before the world was nearly as global, it's my understanding that when just looking at the principal literature, when I look at at, at Muhammad, he was. Ex- extremely aggressive as a king. It's my understanding that in the wake of Muhammad's death, his lieutenants were extremely aggressive by dint of determination, by the sword, in expanding, raping, pillaging, and plundering all the while all over northern Africa, uh, Byzantine holdings. And it's my understanding that before there was an America as a player, before there was a modern world intruding, there was a political system there in Islam that was very militant, very bellicose, that was in slaving populations. And so I'm inclined to think that there is, within the system itself, uh, something that uh, gives a kind of credence to these abuses, whereas imperfect as Judeo-Christian culture can be, there still are ingredients in Judeo-Christian culture that kind of mitigate against these wayward tendencies in human nature. Well, you know, I, I hear your point, but unfortunately in that same era, in Europe, uh, you know, they're, they're halted, but we have our own despots in Europe. We have the Catholic Church. We, we have another religious system that, that, that I hate to say is not completely immune from, from despotism, from centralized control of people. I remember a lot of people burned at the stake. I remember it can, entire people groups who were annihilated uh, by these people. Uh, so it looks like to me that the handprints are pretty dirty a lot of places wherever people are given autocratic control. Well, yeah, certainly, and I don't want to be an apologist for the Roman Catholic Church to let them defend themselves. But I'll yeah. tell you one of the things that I did look at. If you look at abuses in the name of religion, that, uh, and if you look at the tendency to pounce 
and the plunder and the ravage, the, uh, the, 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 the savagery at the hand of the Romans, of the Roman Catholic Church, was mild by comparison to what's imposed by others, even up into the modern era, certainly under the mm -hmm. banner of Islam. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not looking to be defensive toward it. Yeah. Uh, you know, burning 100,000 people at the stake is nothing to wince at. Um, but um, Well, to me, that's like saying, you know, who, who's the worst guy, Stalin or Hitler, you know? Right. It's <laughs> not an argument worth worrying about. To me, the fact that you're, okay. you give autocratic power... They use religion, whether it be Islam, Christianity, or whatever, as a way to provide power not only even over this life, but even the life to come. But uh, let me ask you a question, Doctor Future and Tom Bionic. While it's true uh -oh. that you know power corrupts in the name of religion, and you're pointing out, listen, if there's corruption in Islam, fair enough. But let's be honest, and there's corruption within the Roman Catholic Church, thus within Christian tradition too. Yeah. So let's be fair about it. But here's what I understand to be the difference, and I want you to respond to this with me, please. And that is, it seems to me that for Roman Catholicism to be abusive, it has to defy Jesus in the process of doing. So that's not Jesus' example. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're doing it despite what Jesus says, but it's my understanding in being forceful, they're just following Muhammad's example. Uh, well, I guess I would put, I would put uh, any of these movements to do these act, any of these activities against Jesus, whether they call themselves Christian or Islam or whatever, any of this kind of activity is anti-Jesus wherever their, their origin is. Right, uh, but is, but is this activity anti-Islam? Muhammad went, you know, he went on an order just shy of forty raids. He had hundreds and hundreds of people beheaded. He gathered a harem of slave stock, and what he didn't take for himself, he passed around to his lieutenants. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between Muhammad and Jesus. Well, yeah, well, I, I, I guess you could take the comparison farther back than that. The and by the way, I'm, I'm and I think you understand this. I'm not being an apologist for Muhammad or the terrible brutality <laughs> that is continued. Okay, take that off, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a member of any of those groups. So. But, uh, you know, if I would talk to the typical non-Christian who sort of stood outside of the discussion we're having now, uh, when I talk to them about Christianity and about Judeo-Christianity, they would picture the, the Judaism of the Old Testament that, that completely wiped out and obliterated and massacred the people of Canaan and, and, and wiped out with terrible brutality, you know, men, women, and children. Now, we who study the Word understand there was a reason and things that are going on. In fact, we've talked about that a lot of our show in times past, about what was really going on. But their view of it, being outside of our religious faith, they just see wanted massacring going on. Now, I'm not saying that to say there really is justification for what Islam did. All I'm just saying is that there are political influences and other things that are going on that justify and, and actually initiate a lot of these activities. Um, you know, you can look in the in the in this, the Quran and find some terrible, terrible things that are said. Uh, and and of course, it's not, I don't believe it's God's word, and I don't think it will lead you to a uh, saving faith. Uh, but there are things you can find horrible in there. I find non-Christians all the time going to the Bible and pointing to passages in the Old Testament where God says to wipe out this, this people or that people, and they don't want to be part of that God. So, it, to me, it's just we have to be very careful. In going in that direction without the context of the time and what it's in and things like that. And look at what people are doing today. I know a number of Muslim people 
that I work with that uh, either in this country or when I travel internationally and work with them. And their main goal is to raise their children uh, or, and to see their grandchildren, to see them have a better life than they did. Uh, they do not relate at all to that, but they're still practicing Muslims. They, they do their prayers. They believe in submission to God. Uh, we can have even religious talks at times and things like this. But they totally are disconnected from this belief that it's endemic, uh, that anyone who practices a Muslim faith just wants to slaughter people. Yes, that's my understanding as well. Of course, people came to this world to find a new and better life, better than they could have over there. Um, it's my understanding that in America there are all kinds of opportunities that are afforded. A woman can go to Harvard University from Saudi Arabia, and uh, when she goes back from Harvard with her Ph.D., she's not even allowed to drive a car back in Saudi Arabia. People come here from these Arab lands, uh, these Muslim lands, because they know they get a better deal here, and they're going to be more kindly disposed toward us as a result. Well, some some do. Uh, however, that may be changing here in Nashville in the, the buckle of the Bible Belt. We just had, you know, a, a mosque facility, an Islamic center that was attacked, and well, uh, was the excavating equipment. Yeah, but I mean, they they were building it. Yeah. And they they set it on fire, did vandalism uh, while it was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we, like I mentioned earlier, we've got a church that wants to burn Quran. We have others who talk about it all the time. So I wish I've mentioned this before. I wish Christians would just go and try to convert those people. <laughs> that you know, yeah, so rather than so finding ridiculous. out what somebody did 500 years ago. I mean, we've got we've got Jews who live in Iran and practice their faith in Iran. We have different cultures embedded in all these other different countries. So to me, it really comes down to each of us as individually and how do we respond. Uh, to the nature of God and, and his call that he gives to us. Yeah, but those responses that you mentioned, that, that I mean, I just want to go on record saying they're just totally unacceptable. You know, burning mosques, burning Korans. Uh, I mean, there's no Jewish rabbi that's going to lend credence to that. Mm-hmm. that that's not the Jewish right. way. That certainly isn't the Christian way. Frustration, you know, rage. Uh, no, I think that, that Judeo-Christian leaders need to set a better example than that. Well, and I, I hope your profile will continue to increase. I, yeah. I, I know you're one of the main evangelical leaders already through your ministry, but, uh, but the kind of dialogue that you're, that you're carrying on right now is, is so woefully needed. We're back in Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, let's convert him. Bionic. Amen. Yeah. Convert them rather than aim guns at them. Yeah, shoot them up. And you can fill in the blank, whatever people. Yeah, that's true for everybody. <laughs> I know it's well. We we had some very very interesting discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things about how we in our church look at things today, we got into earlier. I was planning mm-hmm. it at the ending of the interview, but mm-hmm. we sort of led into that. Uh, and I, he, he takes a, a very well. He takes a very promising stand about uh, the. Arab peoples early in the, in the book talking about the Bible, what the Bible mm-hmm. says, and takes a very strong stand against Muslims. And it was a little stronger than what I would, but we had a very peaceful discussion this, and mm-hmm. that'll continue on the next segment. Well, and, and, and really, that. ultimately, I, I thought his, his uh, position was very well, you know, yeah. like articulated, and yeah. it's not really, we're much more in agreement with his position than oh, we are yeah. than like 99% of the people out there talking about the same things. Well, when someone is reasonable and they don't, uh, Lose, lose sight of scriptural admonition uh-huh. that, yeah, and plain common exactly. sense, decency, those kind of things, mm-hmm. you, you actually have a shot. I mean, you know, I think people can converge to common solutions when they mm-hmm. maintain that atmosphere. Sure. 
And, and also, if you have freedom to discuss and let your opinion known and not be afraid that somebody's going to string you up mm-hmm. for your opinion. I, if if we can help foster that environment, then we will have done something yeah. in our own t- teeny tiny way. Yeah, well, and I think I think Brother Seif there has done that uh, yeah. in his teeny tiny way as well. Mm-hmm. Someone else we respect is Merv. He can tell you how to contact us at Future yeah. Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go. All right. Come back for our third segment. It will continue, I think, to get interesting in our discussion. Thought-provoking uh, inquiry come out. with a unique person. <laughs> Not really. uh, come back tomorrow for our third segment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And Tom, conjars for Bibles, bionic. Do what? A conjar is a, is a Middle Eastern sword, a very curved blade. Uh, it's in some way ceremonial, but if you wear one, it's like, you know, it's like wearing a kilt to a, yeah. a, a you know, yeah. a, a wedding or something. Are you saying like formal. turning it in for a Bible? Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not into what we're talking about and you're new today, we're talking to Dr. Jeffrey Seif who is a spokesman uh, and leader of the ministries, all 11 ministries, very popular national evangelical ministry, international one, uh, and also the author of a book, Making Our Peace with the Warriors in the Sand, which possibly could be your allusion to Oh, the, no, 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 I just, <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? That's <laughs> um, and we're talking about an exhortation from the Bible to respect the Arab peoples, mm-hmm. which is a subject matter of his book. This is our third and final installment with him. Um, I thought it was the kind of discussion... That Christians ought to be having. Sure, of course. And, and you, you put your cards on the table. Come on the show and stuff. talk with us. I, I really. Oh, he was it. engaging. He just yeah, didn't show I'm up. Really... You know, he he actually <laughs> participated. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I would hope he would be able to come back, and we yeah. could have some more things. We have some similar constructive mm-hmm. discussions. Write another book, man. Write another book. Yeah. Quick, quick, quick. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's take you back to our third installment with Dr. Jeffrey Seif. Uh, an exhortation of the Bible to respect the Arab peoples, and then we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. I know we're getting late in our discussion. I've got a few more questions like this to ask you, if you don't if fire you away. We, we sort of got ahead on some of them, and this kind of juicy dialogue is really, really what makes radio it. important. Have, to have him on for a couple of weeks. It's, I mean, <laughs> this. this <laughs> well, well, thank you, Mister Bionic. <laughs> this this should really be uh, the, the the nature of you know you know. Uh, in your book, and and I, and I think I've shared this a little bit. Part of that made me a little bit more uncomfortable was was what we were just alluding to the historical um, talk about Islam and what it's, it's done in the history. And what the point I took from it from you is that the Arab people as a people can be wonderful people, but this religious movement that came in in, in the 600s radically changed things a lot. Uh, and and you're trying to show where the real culprit is 
as opposed to the 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 Arab people per se. Is that a little bit of what your message is in that? Yeah, no, that's more than a little bit. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks I'm for paying like, attention I'm, to it. I'm, I'm pretty dense, so I just want to make sure I get it right here. But, but you know, re- related to that, about some of their, their their atrocities and things like that, and even some of their theological problems. I mean, we're we're a people that when we look in Judaism or Christianity, uh, we got skeletons in our closets too. I mean, we have, uh, uh, you know. The crucifixion of Christ that was involved. We have the Jewish people who are recorded in our own scriptures as having Asherah poles, while at the same time they have the very presence of God in their own midst of the temple, you know, killing the prophets. Um, you know, the Talmud, Talmudic Jerusalem, uh, Judaism certainly doesn't have a very fine view of Jesus per se. Uh, Christians, as, as we know, and it's not just Catholicism, we, we have some pretty nasty things that we've done ourselves in these kind of things. And so, I want to make sure that, that, that do, do we have an understanding that really to get progress in this world, and particularly to make disciples of Christ, we need to look at a clean slate person by person uh, to be able to share them with a saving faith and realize that every person, regardless of their ethnic background, former religion, whatever it is, is precious in God's sight. Oh, I'll say amen to that. Okay. Amen. Okay. And, you know, there's there, there's no place for just carte blanche disdaining people. And it is true that every people, we all have laundry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think the better if we all tip our hat to it and uh, recognize that, you know, uh, we look at our own country. We, we were one of the last countries to have slaves in our country. It's a yeah, little but, hard but, for us to point our finger at other people. Right. But let me ask you this, that while there can always be aberrations and sins, you know, oh, they were supposed to do better, but no, there's these Asherah poles over here, or there's this. Well, there will always be um, individuals that perform poorly and lead people astray. The question is, uh, is there something more inherent in Islam as a political religious system that inclines toward more what we consider to be abuses? Then does Judeo-Christian value, vision, and literature? And it seems to me that the answer is more so yes. There isn't a single boat that was slaves that came to the Americas where it wasn't transacted by Arab traders over in, in Africa. If you look at countries in Europe today, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, what we call Slavic countries, it comes from the word slave because when these uh, countries came under the dominion of Islam, um, people were, were forced into servitude. Uh, one out of five boys in every home was forced to serve as janissary units in Islamic uh, armies. Women were taken off into slave markets and the like. So I think while there are examples of people that went awry uh, and brought bad things to bear in the biblical testimony, to me it seems the system of Islam itself I differentiate. I don't see so much the religion of peace, though I know there are peaceful people within it, but they're peaceful despite the religion, not because of it, because the religion does give credence to all that kind of activity to give expression to a world to be dominated by Islam. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, I've heard that same argument used about isolated people under the, the reign of the Roman Catholic Church, that certain people were followers of Jesus in spite of church teaching or in spite of the reign of Catholicism as well, too. So, uh, you know, I, I would say some of these activities didn't just start in 600 A.D., that they have their origins well be- well before then were well-established during these periods of time. 
and, and what I hear you saying is that it's systemic in the fundamental teaching, the background of Muhammad, of, of Islam. And from what I understand, we have eras of great conflict, and then we have sort of golden ages of peace that go on for many hundreds of years, uh, where you don't have that kind of conflict go on. So, I, is Because it, is people it, are already subjugated. That, uh, you know, the world has already been conquered, and so within the conquered world, those, those militant impulses are domesticated because everyone's already subdued. Um, well, the, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not disputing what you're saying. I'm just saying that there are, there are other, uh, religious systems. I, I, I would say in the Dark Ages, uh, when you had Copernicus and you had these other scientists and other people that, that felt, that felt the control uh, of a controlling Catholic Church, they they had the same kind of feelings. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of dissent. Things went pretty smoothly because you lost your head or you burned at the stake uh, right. if if you had dissent at that time. And I think any kind of environment like that is wrong. But we we should not blame individuals or even their individual religion because of powerful people in those positions that exploit it to do those kind of activities. But uh, I, we'll, we'll leave it at that, and I, and I will put you down that uh, Islam is sort of a special case in this regard. And and I, I, yeah. do, I do anticipate in the future that, that the militant part of that is going to be dealt with. I think the scripture indicates that uh, hmm. it will not go unnoticed, what, what you're implying. Well, you know, I don't want to – here we are, here I am – you know, giving away, you know, uh, <laughs> doves and blowing peace, and now we're now reverting back to my redneck ways, yeah. and, and you know, and casting aspersions on a religion which is not politically correct in this culture. But um, you know, as you note, I am. Uh, I don't think all religions are equal. I think that you know, Muhammad does model a way of being that's militant, and the vision was a world under the swords and by conquest. And while it's true there are moderates that, that find a way to despiritualize that, yeah. the religion itself does. I mean, Islam means submission. It carries with it this kind of imposition. Um, so I think it's a little right. different than right. even granting the abuses in Christian Europe. And well, you should talk to the American Indians about <laughs> how easygoing Christianity was that, that was introduced yeah, to them, or even the Amazonian Indians, too. So Okay, well, that's, that's a very good point. You know, I wonder what American Indians do on Thanksgiving. The rest of us, thank God for giving us America. Indians probably get drunk as a skunk <laughs> and regret they ever sold us a single blanket because we just violated treaties all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast. And right. So, well, we gave right, them those blankets. overly simplistic. We gave them those blankets back. They just had cholera in them. That was the only problem. <laughs> but a blanket with some small. Pots. So I, I, I guess we just we just blame a lot of folk here. And the thing that's healthy about our discussion, Doctor Sy, is that none of us are losing our cool. We, we none of the three of us have yeah. declared each other heretics. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Uh, We've still got five more minutes. <laughs> but uh, but the fact is, you can have an honest discussion. And, you know, like you were talking about seesawing, you know, from one or the other. All that matters is that we try to pursue truth as best as we can because that's the way of Jesus. If we make an honest attempt to pursue truth, look in the mirror, you know, address our, our natural inclinations to stereotype the, the ingrained nature of our culture, try to shine the light of the Bible on it. And that's how I take your book is an attempt to to do that, uh, and it really comes down, you're talking about the, the Arab peoples, Muslims people, what, what it really comes down to is we are called to bring them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, is it not? Yes, and I certainly would, would wish that for the entire world. 
and uh, so I'm looking to be helpful in that regard. Because after someone, after a Muslim prays and accepts Jesus, what are they going to do? Be indoctrinated into a world that gives voice to that these people are just a non-people, just cannon fodder to be destroyed by God's armies and end of the world wars. No, we got to show the love of God to, to Arab peoples. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I want to do that. I, I really want to do that. And, and that is something that can unite us. We can go back and judge whether something 600 years ago was bad or good or whatever. We can debate all day. But really, we're all called by our Lord to think about how we can spread the good news and make disciples of every one of these people and everything that should judge our approach. I'm talking about the household of faith. I'm not even talking about secular governments. But amongst those that are covenant people, our goal should be how should we address things, not because of what happened now in the past or in the future, but how do we make as many disciples amongst these people that they could have a saving faith to be delivered from their sins just like we experienced ourselves. There you go. Um, now, here's a subject here getting toward the end here that's much more touchy than what we've done so far. So we handled the easy stuff up to now. Um, we have a situation now, as you well know, in the evangelical community in America that for the most part is very strongly supportive, not only of the, the nation state of Israel, but particularly for support comprising things like um, through our secular government to their secular government, large sums of money and weapons. Uh, and that we maintain that. And most of the evangelical leaders I see make that a main point. Having grown up in the prophecy community, that was always a staple. Uh, and, and in recent times, we sort of asked some hard questions here on the show mm-hmm. about is that in line with what we're called to do. Do you think that our very conspicuous support as a community in America of supporting weapon sales to, to Israel and things like this makes it difficult for our missionaries and others to spread the gospel amongst the Arab peoples and others that feel intimidated by this? Well, my understanding is that we're selling a lot of equipment to a lot of different people, uh, the you know Saudi Arabians and others too. That's, it's not simply we're just that's we're just we're, we're just giving equipment to the Jews. I think that um, yeah, that's that true. We're, we're, we're spreading it around. The other thing I wonder is uh, if the argument is, by golly, Christian Americans are selling weapons to the Israelis, thus we can't become Christian for that reason. Gee, I wonder if missionaries that come from France and European countries that aren't doing that, that even right. more lean, I wonder if, the, if, they're, if, if, if people are jumping into their baptismals left and right. Uh, well, it would be nice know. if they were. Yeah, I don't. I think yeah. it's overly simplistic. I don't think, yeah. by golly, because America's doing what it's doing, it's hindering evangelism. I don't know. Well, you know, and I'm not saying that that is a correct view, or, or that you know that their view, if they had that, would be a correct one. I'm just saying, would that be something that would inhibit our ability uh, to share the gospel and show that we love them in a saving faith? What you said about. Uh, Money given to other countries. You're exactly right. From from what I understand, for every dollar we give to Israel, we give two dollars to Israel's enemies. Now, what kind of sense does that make? The other thing is, you mentioned Saudi Arabia. Uh, as you well know, the the ruling princes of Saudi Arabia are hated by a large part of the Saudi people and much of the mm-hmm. Muslim world. So yeah. it's like we, we couldn't make ourselves be hated more. I think with the way we handle things, we we couldn't invent a way that's more convoluted. Uh, for us to be perceived in these communities. Well, you know, it's hard. I don't know all the discussions that go behind the decisions that America makes, and I'm sure that, you know, as we critically reflect on them with all the facts, we need to adjust some. But even some of what America does, my understanding is that just in the war 
uh, with Iraq, ill-fated, uh, you know, as it may very well be, still it represents going in there. That guy was a brutal tyrant. And there's an argument that America was trying to help uh, the Islamic world by getting rid of one of their worst um, and, and looking to forge a democracy. So, oh, I don't know. For me, the jury's out. You know, I don't know what... Um, you know, all the you know Arab Muslims think really about America in an Internet age. I do know, though, in Iran, where they're, they're mm-hmm. my understanding is a classic example. You have all this anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-Jewish rhetoric from the top. Right. But, but an Internet-savvy population, 25 and under, doesn't buy it. Right. Because there's other news sources. So there can be a chasm between the rhetoric and the reality on the streets. Sure, and, and it also exposes another thing that binds us all as peoples is our universal hatred <laughs> hatred of our elected officials. Uh, I have never met a people group that was actually satisfied that their country's elected officials told them the truth. You know, I used to do a lot of work in Russia, and the the Russian scientists I work with referred to their uh, government officials as the gangsters. Really, and, yeah. and, and and in fact, I think the same thing is true in our own country right here. So, uh, it, it, you know, I've thought about, you know, I, I just wish we could have almost like an evangelical goodwill tour <laughs> that could go and extend a hand of friendship. But, you know, because of what we just said or what I just said, I, I don't think that time would be best spent going to the top to the officials in a lot of these countries because I think it would be extremely naive because they tend to be like politicians in every country, whether they're whether in Muslim countries, Israel, America, China, wherever, they tend to be very, very cynical, self serving, and have their own agenda. And they will use whatever religion, if if the Muslims are in their office one day, if the Christians the next, for their own personal basis. But if people at the grassroots level can can relate to each other, I think that's the best hope that we have and circumvent uh, those leaders who find it in their interest to actually fight. And that, and, and I think that's where your, your point about Islam is really comes to a point is that there is a leadership within Islam that when, when they foment violence, it's to their own benefit for their own power and their own leadership. Yes, I think, I mean, yes to that. And by the way, a little plug for uh, media work too. One of the benefits of radio and television is you go right to the streets. You don't have to you know, talk to the popes, to the clerics, to the politicians, and let the average person hear and weigh out the issues for themselves. It's, you know, we get letters from people in Islamic lands, uh, people involved in Christian television. They they watch, they hear, they uh, they 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 come to know the Lord miraculously. Just, Amen. Amen. Well, here's my advice to you in your future media work for your your vast ministry. If you send any kind of word over to those people groups, just say, look, do not listen to our elected officials here in America. <laughs> in fact, do not listen to your own elected officials. In fact, the future, you know, Frank, is what they need to do. You know that. <laughs> You know, uh, this this Revelation 18 analogy, that's right, this Revelation 18 analogy that we use makes it very clearly to show that, that the nations and the merchants of the world, they really have a conspiracy to deceive all the nations of the earth. And so all nations are, are victim to this kind of activity that goes on by the principalities and powers in control. And, and through media, like you mentioned, other things to go back to the grassroots people, people can be reached. You know, there are going to be other Corneliuses and Roman centurions uh, raised in a Muslim or other Arabic background that really want to pursue God and seek God. 
and we need to be the means by which, like Aquila and Priscilla approached Apollos, you know, and showed them a more excellent way. We, we need to be able to show them the good news uh, that we've got for people who really want to seek and truly submit to God, uh, as we know that his word says. So, you know, that may be naive, but I still have that hope that at least a remnant, you know, can Amen be preserved through through work like that. Um, in, in conclusion here, um, can I ask you what you really hope to accomplish within the Christian community from the message in your book, and, and what kind of features, actions, and attitudes would you specifically like to see changed in the American Christian community as a result? Yeah, what I wanted to do was to speak as a Jew, not as an ex-Jew, uh, but someone that has his heart in Jewish culture and someone who's really supportive of Israel. What I wanted to do is, from within that world, to cast a vision um, for you know a better story. What I thought is that someone that believes in Jesus and is of Jewish ilk, why not someone like that look to take the vanguard at showing a way through this fog? And so I thought, driven by that impulse and wanting to be as kindly disposed toward Arab people, believing that we need to take individuals on their merits and not just give any... Uh, kind of credence to race hate. Um, what I wanted to do was show that there were lots of positive interactions with Arab peoples in the biblical narrative in both Old and New Testaments. Similarly, in looking at prophetic literature, not just looking backwards, mm -hmm. when I look at literature that looks forward, as you noted, um, Dr. Future, uh, what I wanted to do was show how there's promises for peace and tranquility coming to Arab peoples round about the land of Israel, those that dwell in Israel's shadow. So what I wanted to do was show that, and uh, at a practical level, my thinking is, is this might mitigate against tendencies in Christians that would acquire the book, those few that would get it, uh, uh, to, to be hateful. I thought that it might contribute toward us being better peacemakers to the end that we'd be able to give a better example of what it means to be Christian in a world where authentic Christianity can be in very high demand but very short mm -hmm. supply. Mm -hmm. And that will result in making more disciples, will it not? Yes. Uh, how have How have others in the evangelical community responded to your book? Well, I, I haven't gotten an, an, an inordinate amount of response, but, you know, I've been asked to speak in Messianic Jewish circles on this story, oh, and it is super positive. You know, even in Israel, the Jewish believers meet with Arab leaders. They go off on retreats. They've been doing it for years, uh, looking to explore ways to get along because of the gospel. And within the Messianic Jewish world that I participate in, very well received, um, but uh, well, you may end up. You know, the Messianic Jewish population may have to lead the way for the rest of us Gentiles uh, uh, no. to show the example of what it means to bear Christ's love. You know, and to, yeah. when 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 the Lord says, "Well, if I be lifted up, I draw all people unto me," He literally yeah. means all people, does He not? Yes. He He wants all to come and be unified by His sacrifice on the cross. And I want to thank you so much for your time being with us. Would you let us know what we can do uh, in our own strange way with our motley audience, our motley crew that listens to us? Uh, we have a growing audience of people who, who have these similar concerns, but we are so relieved to hear someone like yourself, a leader in the evangelical community, taking a very brave stand. Is there anything you can tell us now we can do to help you in, in your cause? Well, I want your ministry to be strong. 
and what your viewers can do is support you to the end that, you know, television, radio, we have a story to tell, and we live in a crazy world, and better that cooler heads prevail. And so, you know, you and I have in common the fact that we're looking to be uh, credible in terms of human experience and faithful to the biblical witness. Amen. Amen. And uh, so let's keep it all strong and going and see how everything plays out. That That is our desire, and we need... We need a good, uh, sharp, uh, you know, iron sword like yourself dropping in on us yeah. to sharpen our oh. iron regularly. <laughs> You're uh, kind to say that. Have we, me back, please. We, we need that very much, and we want to thank you so much. Uh, in closing, again, how can our listeners get your book, Making Our Peace with the Warriors of the Sand? Well, people can just Google Making Our Peace with the Warriors of the Sand, and, you know, they'll get different uh, you know, book delivery systems, and they can order it through. So that would be my advice. If people are interested in my ministry, uh, com would be the go-to place for the website or Zola Levitt Ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people can just, you know, just take that book, Making Our Peace with the Warriors of the Sand, take that title, Google it, and go click, and they can get that book from a few different sources. Well, since we're very autocratic here, like the other example of despotic religious figures, <laughs> in our own role over our people, yeah. I command each of our Futurians to don't buy the book. Buy a case. Yeah. Buy a case yeah, of the book. People. Take them to church. Give one to your pastor. Give one to some other friends if you have Wednesday night dinner or, or whatever, yeah. Sunday school. Take them. Disperse them. Begin a dialogue. Begin a discussion. Ask. Go. You know, we had a very stirring dialogue right here, which was healthy. Yeah, I thought it was do, great. Do the same thing in your own local churches. Then go to his ministry. Go to Levitt.com. I'm. Will we see further evidence of things like this? You're thinking, and some other ministry activities you're doing. Well, I I hope so. It's kind of it's, it's something I'm into. Okay. Um, well, I just I want to tell you, you're not done, okay? You got the book on the shelf. You are not done in pursuing this line of thought. And there are, particularly, I'll say, in the younger Christian community, there are a lot of people looking for someone like yourself to provide some some guidance and leadership, and and how we can build some bridges like this for the furtherance of the gospel. And so there's a, there's a lot of of younger people in the church that are looking for someone like you to step forward. And I hope if they go follow your ministry and support it, they'll be be able to see further steps where they can even personally get involved in this process. Well, thank you very much. And I think, you know, it's better to light candles than it is to curse the darkness. So we've definitely got to find a way to move this conversation along in a more biblically responsible way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know you're doing that in your way, and I'm doing it in mine. And, mm-hmm. you know, appreciate it. Well, thank you for the word of encouragement for us. And it was really a, a shot in the arm, a breath of fresh air for us. And uh, we thank you so much. We we salute you uh, and give in the Lord's strength. And uh, we sure hope that you'll come back soon and visit with us again. Pleasure. Thanks a bunch. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, spreading the dishdasha of reconciliation, bionic. Oh, I'm afraid to ask what that is. It's the, uh, it's, it's the white tunic, you know, people call them the kind of the pajamas. Okay. You know, the white thing with the, yeah. Know, okay. That's a, that's a dishdasha. Yeah, they're not like underoos or no. super friends no, no, no. thing. Okay. Well, you know, I, I just want to mention to Dr. Seif, I know I came across in this uh, discussion as being like the apologist for Islam. Or like the attorney for Muhammad, you know, his PR. <laughs> I don't intend that, okay? Uh, it's just we hear so much in evangelical circles, not so much from Dr. Syke, but from, from others that are so one-sided mm-hmm. that I just feel like it's very Christian to be able to, to 
notice other sides, and that's certainly sure. not an endorsement of the Islamic faith. Of course not. I just want them to, you know, well, embrace Jesus Christ. Well, and I know where you're coming from. One of the things that we've reviewed is, you know, prominent ministers uh, having facts that don't fit other facts. I can't remember the actual name of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was it? Where the the, the facts were so contradictory. Yeah, the facts. Or were yeah, contradictory and, uh, uh, yeah. regarding his his heritage. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't condone them t- cutting people's heads off or converting them to the sword. I'm just saying we all got a lot of dirty laundry, mm-hmm. and let's treat everybody where they are today. Mm-hmm. There are some people practicing Islam today that want to submit to God, and we need to give them the Word of Jesus Christ. And it says that if they are really seeking. It says they will receive it with great joy. Give them the distasha of reconciliation. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Another distasha is our friend Merv, who could tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Yeah, I didn't know how that really related, but I was struggling. Come back tomorrow. We've got a surprise guest coming in tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, real burgeoning and not going away, Bionic. You stole everybody's thunder, including our guest. We have a special guest star just for today. For yep. a quick visit, mm-hmm. we have Dr. L.A. Marzuli, who is the author of the book uh, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, mm-hmm. the Nephilim Trilogy, a bunch of other stuff, mm-hmm. and um, his own radio show host. And he's going to be speaking at a conference down at the Anchor Church downtown Nashville. Uh, and... They mentioned us. Might want to give a heads up to everybody. So, Sweetness. so Dr. Marzulli is dropping in for a few minutes to let us know what's going on with him, to remind us about the conference and what's going on. Mm-hmm. If you're somewhere within reasonable distance to get to um, Nashville in October, you need to be at that conference. So, yeah. here's Dr. Lou Marzulli, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, missing the Mexican food where our next guest lives, <laughs> Bionic. <laughs> oh, boy, I feel Pyro and I here actually feel bullied by you two Californians. Uh, we have a surprise guest that's just dropped in, an extra special guest star. It feels like the Dean Martin show where, like, just one of the doors open up off stage. And, you know, out comes Foster Brooks or Milton Berle. We have even better than that. We have Dr. Lynn Marzulli uh, being with us, who has so many things he's doing. I won't begin to describe him myself, uh, but we're going we're gonna to have you talk to us a little bit about some of your ministries you have going on. But uh, I want to tell you, first of all, welcome back to the Future Quake Show. Well, it's always great to be here, Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. Hey. I hope your capes are uh, flowing and uh, free of wrinkles. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Uh, all of you regular Futurians out there that listen over the years, you know uh, our dear guest here has been with us through some of our most memorable events and shows. This may be, what is this, four? 
I, it's got to be more, four, yeah, something five. like something of that league. Yeah. It's, there's a special. You get a special jacket yeah. when you get the fifth appearance. Ooh. Yeah, Send you get a, the future quake ascot, a smoke, smoking <laughs> jacket, and you get a key to the uh, to the executive, executive lounge. Yeah. yeah, the executive lounge here at Future Quake, and you're a five timer. Uh, oh it's, yeah, Lord. You, yeah, Tom Horn will show you the ropes on you know how to okay, get around it. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Hey, uh, it's great to have you back for just a little quickie visit this week, and we've got some announcements to make. Uh, and we appreciate you just coming for 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 a brief visit with us. But mm-hmm, for our, mm-hmm. some of our new listeners who who have lived in a cave for the last couple of years, uh, you know, because of a nuke fallout shelter and, and and don't know about your ministry, can you give us a quick intro to some of the things that you have going on in your ministry book, Radio Electric? Sure, I'd love to. And thanks for having me on, guys. But I'm the author of a Nephilim trilogy. Uh, Nephilim, the first book was published in 1999. It was one of the first book to begin, even though it's a work of fiction, to talk about the Nephilim and link to Genesis 6, uh, phenomenal with the modern UFO, uh, uh, ongoing burgeoning uh, fiasco, whatever word you want to use there. Now, here, uh, here's the truth. The, this UFO thing, in my own words, I believe that it's real, it's burgeoning, and it's not going away. <laughs> what, what, what do you think? Where did I hear that? <laughs> That's just my own view. So I don't know what you think about it. Oh Lord! Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Can we quote you on that, Doctor Future? Oh, certainly. As long as you give me proper attribution, I've trademarked that. By the way. Yeah, and, and review first, ask questions later. Exactly. Hey, that's catchy too. I'll remember that. One. Uh, okay, back back to your uh, discussion of your empire, the Marzulli Ministry Empire. Oh my Lord! I hope it isn't my empire. But uh, I'm the author of the Nephilim trilogy. Out of that came Politics, Prophets, and the Supernatural, a nonfiction tome, well, which discusses and links up the idea of three separate, uh, unseemingly dead fellows of politics, prophecy, and the supernatural, and shows really how they're all, how they've intersected in the past and how they actually are intersecting in real time right now. And of course, um, it is now September 2010, and we can see everything. Um, that is is happening on a global scale. The the 7.2 earthquake in uh, Christchurch, uh, New Zealand last week. Uh, the, the six million aquatic animals dying off in Bolivian rivers a few weeks ago. The Russian oh. fires, five to six hundred Russians uh, oh, fires in Russia, uh, burning out of control. And that uh, the fires went over Chernobyl. Did it did it burn up? Uh, Radioactive material, more than likely, news blackout. With the Bolivian aquatic animal thing going back to that, aquatic life, um, that was big for about a week, and then boom, it's just completely, total news blackout. Tens of thousands of fish washing up on the Jersey Shore, volcanoes erupting all over the planet. Um, and then we look at the Pakistani floods, which are the worst floods in, in Pakistan's history. It's, uh, conversely, it's the worst drought in Russian's history. They go back a thousand years. They've never had a, a drought like that. California is experiencing the worst summer since 1914. Uh, and, and on and on it goes. And we can spend the rest of the, uh, the time I had talking about always, the wars and rumors of wars, the famines, and the pestilence. I mean, the always thing look on the bright side <laughs> of life. <laughs> yeah, that's uplifting. And there's some really bad stuff. Dark stuff. Yeah, there's some really bad stuff too going on too. Uh, in addition yeah, other to that. than that. Hey, I, I want to get our political leaders are so in charge. I want to get some comments from you about some of these things that are just now going on. But sure. But before we forget, one of the reasons we're here um, is that you're going to be coming back to our fair city of Nashville, as I understand it, and uh, you'll be speaking before another group here. I guess next month. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
well, first of all, I'm really excited about coming back, and it, it's neat to see that that <clears throat> the word is getting out there. I'll be in Nashville October 21st and the through the 23rd, October 21st through the 23rd at the Anchor Fellowship, and we'll be discussing politics, prophecy, and the paranormal. Um, I'll be also talking about the uh, UFOs or real burgeoning not going away from my book, The Alien Interview, um, and I'm revamping my PowerPoint uh, in the next couple of weeks here, so it should be a really hard-hitting uh, time when we get together. So much has gone on since I first created that PowerPoint in 2007 that I have to update it now. And what's great about Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, the book, is that much of what I have written in 2007 has actually come to pass or is about to come to pass. So it's uh, it's it's it should be a um, very sobering but extremely informative time. And uh, you can check that out. It's the Anchor Fellowship. And um, it's uh, 629 3rd Avenue, South Nashville, Tennessee. So do, you can do, do you have an email address or a website or something there at your fingertips? I know I caught you cold on that. Uh, I do not. We'll, we'll, we'll look up one and we'll put it on the website okay, here so people know because we want great. people to come check it out. If they've not heard sure. uh, Brother Lynn speak and this information, not only will you find it fascinating, but you'll also set by other people, kindred spirits, uh, a lot of our listeners are people who are sort of lone wolves that, that everybody in their family thinks they're nuts for caring about these <laughs> issues. Nobody at the church wants to talk about it or just a handful. Right. Sure. Uh, you can come to a meeting like this, hear some very interesting teaching, uh, get some more books, load up on some other stuff, but then meet some other people who are like you who also don't have people around them that care about these matters. And it's a real time of encouragement. And, uh, that's a very interesting church downtown. Um, they've uh, been very supportive of us and our ministry here and in things. And I, th- I think it'll be an interesting experience for any of our listeners who are within reasonable distance to come uh, to hear you speak. And I just want to encourage them to come support your ministry uh, and uh, what those guys are doing there. Although I will need to warn you that Pastor Stump down there, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I have videotape of him in an executioner's outfit actually taking a mace to young Christian people and actually destroying them. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, very ominous looking. I don't, have you seen uh, Chris Pinto's work, uh, A Lamp in the Dark? Uh, I have not, no, but well, I am familiar with Chris's work. You need to get A Lamp in the Dark because yeah. you'll actually see... You'll see Josh Stump. Yeah, you'll, you'll see him That's actually Josh. take the uh, take a mace to a bunch of you know, very harmless, innocent Christian young people yeah. and put well, them Denzel, to death. I believe. Yeah, and... Uh, Put an end to them. Yeah. Of course, we can't really say much <laughs> because we did yeah. we did burn one of our future quake guests at the stake, did yeah. we not? <laughs> you and I helped with that, and we excommunicated uh, uh, Wycliffe yeah. and did a well, bell book and candle was, ceremony. That you, yeah, that was my was contribution. So, uh, but anyway, they're an interesting gang down there. So I want to Great. encourage all our listeners. Uh, can you give just a little quick teaser? I want to save a few minutes to talk about what things are going on now that caught your eye. But uh, a little teaser about the, the general scope of what you will be covering uh, during your presentations. Well, what I do is I, I bring the the, uh, <clears throat> the the conference goer, and I assume that they know nothing, or they've read just a cursory amount of information, or in fact they've been they've they just believe that the whole UFO phenomena is just a bunch of nonsense. And I, I lead them very slowly uh, and tell them, look, supernatural events have happened before; they are happening now in, in real time. And I weave that into the prophecy of the Bible, which is which is a lot of that prophecy is actually being fulfilled. As we speak, in, in real time, we're seeing prophetic uh, text lining up 
as never before. And so what people, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And what I do is I take that person and, and build this case. The Politics uh, Prophecy and the Supernatural Conference uh, takes about six hours to go through. So we usually do it in a couple of sessions. Um, and by the end of that, you know, the fourth or fifth hour, light bulbs start going off all around the room. As people begin to connect the dots for themselves and they realize, oh, my gosh, we're in it. And yeah, we you, are in you it. Can hear it you can hear it in the audience, can't you? When... Uh... <laughs> You start hearing ahas and things uh-huh. like that as you get all along, uh-huh. where, like you say, that, that they give you cues that they're connecting the dots when they hear your talk. Well, it, it's not. It's, you actually look out and see the aha expression on people's faces, and it's so rewarding. All of a sudden, the light bulb goes off, the jaw drops, the eyes widen. They, you know, they talk to their uh, partner or wife or husband next to them, and you know, there's a little head, a little huddle there, and you know, they'll point to some notes or something, and then and then just attentively listen to the rest of the uh, rest of the talk. And this happens throughout the conference. People really begin to understand where we are, what is going on, and that's the whole point: is to warn the body of Christ. You know, my people perish from lack of knowledge. We're, we're told that, and yet we see in the churches that there's almost a vicious ignorance, and I say that with all due respect, there's a vicious ignorance regarding the phenomena, and uh, it's going to get us in trouble because it is all around us, folks. It is all around us, and it's manifesting like never before. I also tie this into the idea that ritually, uh, ritual satanic uh, offerings, uh, specifically talking about the abortion phenomena mm-hmm. of which one billion abortions have happened over this planet and how that's opened up a demonic portal because of the blood ritual sacrifice. This ties back into the Sumerians, the Mayan cultures, uh, ancient Babylon. It's all connected. And that's what we do. We really bring it up to speed and warn people of what is coming on the earth. In the words of Jesus, even the elect would be deceived, men fainting from fear from what is coming on the earth. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. So um, I'm just a Domino's Pizza guy and, uh, you know, d- delivering the message. And um, if you got a problem with it, take it up with Yeshua, take it up with Jesus, because I just quoted those, those last few um, quotes were from him. Well, if I remember, you're, and I've only seen a portion of this, of this uh, very lengthy uh, um, unfolding uh, presentation that you give, is that it covers soup to nuts. I mean, it, it puts a lot of things in the big picture together in what, in what you cover. So it, literally connecting the dots is something that will help because you'll be talking about some things that almost seem somewhat disconnected at first, and you show how they all relate to the big picture. Absolutely. Particularly Absolutely. From, a, from a last day scenario. Um, how are things with your, with your radio ministry? Uh, things going well on that front? The radio ministry is great. Um, this week we've got some interesting people. Connie Huff, who attended the um, uh, the Las Vegas conference with me, she'll be talking about the Nephilim and uh, uh, basically the rise of the occult and how it's um, mesmerizing our youth and many people. And the week after that we've got Andrew Huffman um, on, oh. on deck, and he'll be talking about eugenics, which will just be absolutely fascinating to people. Uh, the week after that, I've got um, Butch Wykowski coming back on. He'll be talking about the recent cattle mutilations that just happened very, very recently uh, in Colorado again. We'll be talking about that. What is at the tip of uh, or the top of our list right now, we had a, a modicum of funding for the Watchers television program and we are in the process of filming that wow. we are really excited about it it's a pilot show it'll be about an hour long on dvd and the dvds will be for sale probably towards the end of october as soon as we get them done we'll we'll start doing pre-sales but it's a, it's it's just 
fabulous information. Um, it's un, it's unedited. It's, it's we have control of it. Um, Richard Shaw is a producer. I am the co-producer, or we're both you know co-producing together, and we have total control of of what uh, what we're trying to get out. And it's really really it, the, the video content really looks very professional, very good. And we're focusing uh, not only on the UFOs and, and the Nephilim, we're also focusing on one particular area called the East City Ranch up in Washington, where a portal has been opened. And, and people see manifestations of UFOs literally nightly. Um, it's been wow. on. This guy's been all over the news. Uh, even on Fox News Channel, they had a, a Hannity had him on, and they showed film of what was going on up there. And we're going to talk about what his background is, how he opened up this portal, and whether, of course, this is malevolent or benevolent. And it doesn't mm-hmm. take a rocket scientist to know where, where, what side of the aisle I'm coming down on. So we're doing an expose on that. That's sort of the centerpiece of, of this show, and uh, this is the pilot show. Hopefully, it will get picked up. And uh, many more will be in the workings. We'll see. Wow. Um, I, I don't want you to play all your, your cards here, but are, are there any kind of forms of mass mass media channels or outlets that you're hoping to target this kind of material for? Well, there is. Um, you know, we would love to get it on television. We're, gonna, we're certainly going to try history and discovery and, you know, sci-fi and everybody else first, along with uh, some of the more familiar networks, such as Christian uh, TV and Daystar in particular, perhaps the God TV. But we're also going to examine RTV.com, which um, something that you told me about, and we're definitely looking into that and exploring it and just see um, how far we can take this thing. I think it's cutting edge, and what's great about it, it's not religious. It's not tied to any church or denomination. Uh, it just tells it like it is without, you know, the Christian Christianese or buzzwords or any of that. And so they can really go into a variety of markets. And I think uh, with what's going on, I think it will be extremely refreshing because, you know, we're not trying to mince words or, or you know, curry favor with a certain group. We're just telling it like it is. And uh, I'm sure we're going to offend a lot of people, but that's just, you know, it is what it is. We're, we're shouting out the truth, and we're, you know, hopefully doing it in, in love, and yet not mincing words and not uh, being afraid to tell um, and, and to expose the deception that's out there. That's what the show's right. about. Well, it's hard for us to relate to that because we bend over backwards not to offend people on this show. <laughs> and we, we flee from controversy on this show, so we, it's hard for us to imagine what That's you must be going through. the most thing I've ever heard. <laughs> well, you, you, know, you know, there's uh, folks like the Prophecy in the News people and others who I wonder sure. if they might be interested in your video releases of these kind of efforts. I, Sounds well, like right down we're gonna, definitely going to run it by Bob Ballrich and, and Gary and, and J.R. Church when we get it done, and and, uh, and some other some other outlets. Absolutely, I mean we, you know, we just feel that, you know the bottom line is this, guys. This thing is ramping up. It's accelerating, and it, it's everywhere. We're surrounded with it. It's not going away. It's real and burgeoning and not going away. I say that all the time, and it's growing, and people are looking at the whole idea that the extraterrestrial created all This is what I call the alien gospel, that the extraterrestrial created all life on Earth. They, they started the world's first civilizations. They were worshipped by our ancestors as gods. They genetically manipulated early man. They started the world's religions, and now they're back at this very um, uh, distant junk time in history, this very apex of, of civilization, so to speak, or our, our evolution, back to help us through this critical time in human evolution. And and this is this is the coming great deception. This is what, what we're being told. I mean, watch what, listen what the New Agers are saying. Listen what the exopolitics crowd, the people that believe, uh, watch the, ex, the end of um, 
I spelled with Ben Stein. He sits down with Dawkins, and Dawkins and, and Stein goes, where did life come from? And Dawkins says, well, maybe millions of years ago in another galaxy, a race of aliens. It's like, what? Right. I mean, he's talking about the alien gospel. You see it sure. everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And it's like, unless Christians stand up and begin to understand that this is the coming deception, this is what's going to going to cause what I call the great falling away. Mm-hmm. It'll it'll turn people's worldview and paradigm. And this is what the, the six hour conference, and we'll talk about other things, other video presentations that I'll use or PowerPoint presentations I'll use. But that the mainstay is politics, prophecy, and the supernatural, and how not to be deceived and taken in by this coming great deception. Right. All right. Well, you know, I can't remember if I've shared this with you before, Doctor Mazzilli, but when I spoke at the uh, Religion and Spirituality, the International Conference, uh, by the uh, sponsored by the UN and World Council uh-huh. of Churches of sure. Montreal, a major it was all New Age teaching, uh-huh. all occult channeling, uh, spirit guides contacting the dead, that kind of thing. But a main portion of the entire uh, session that was sponsored by the UN was on the UFO cult religion. Uh, and the guys who were household names, uh, Sean David Morton, um, Dr. Uh, uh, Greer, Steve Greer, Stephen Greer, Greer, yeah, Steve Greer, right, Stephen right. Bassett, and Exopolitics. Right. The, the whole crew. The, they were brought in as a major portion of what's going on, and this is under the United Nations auspices. Mm-hmm. So uh, we see what's tacitly endorsed, and in fact, at the same time, they've created this new religion, the Order of the Transfiguration, uh, as a way to prepare people, and their slogan is they're preparing a new humanity for a new world order. There so it is. they take the gloves off for this kind of thing. So it would behoove all of our listeners not only to be aware of what's going on from a biblical worldview with this extraterrestrial hypothesis, but also to know it well enough to be able to share with other people in their church and their family members. Uh, because they'll be responsible for sharing that with other people. Uh, in, in the remaining few minutes we have, can you, can you give us a little teaser on some things going on right now in the world, some interesting stories that you've got your eye on on what's developing? Well, absolutely. Certainly the Middle East is, is the, uh, the most tenuous it's ever been since I've been watching it. Uh, now that Iran is, uh, has the nuclear fuel in the reactor, um, you know, the rods have been, been, been placed in there. They're, they're, you know, months away possibly from their first bomb. Russia putting its S-300 system, anti-missile system in Abkhazia, uh, which ups the ante, closes the Israeli northern route. Turkey finally turning from the west, which it has looked to for decades, now looking towards Iran, uh, which brings in uh, those three states talked about, three countries talked about in Ezekiel 38-39 prophecy, specifically uh, um, Meshach, Togarma, and um, and uh, and and Meshach Karma and Tubal all, all together. Mm-hmm. Not Tubal. It's, it's I can't think. I, I can't think of the other name. But you got those three, in there too. There you go. Yeah. Those 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 three nations compi- comprise the modern nation of Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, Meshach, Tubal, and Togarma. Um, I, I believe that those are the mm-hmm. three the three states which mm-hmm. com- comprise the modern uh, nation of Turkey. So all of a sudden, when you look at the Ezekiel 38 prophecy, what we see is those nations now lining up with great specificity, unlike Nostradamus or these other so-called prophets that we see. Um, I'm very alarmed about what I see in the Middle East. I'm alarmed about uh, the coming financial collapse of the United States. 
uh, with, with the dollar being weakened all over the globe. Uh, I'm really concerned about the seven-point earthquakes that seem to happen on a weekly basis. Yeah. Those are signs to me that are huge. Look, we're seeing wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places, the volcano eruptions, the, 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 the sea life dying off, the idea that the Gulf Stream may have stopped, uh, which could create a mini ice age. It's done that before uh, and then sort of came back to life and the ice age went away. Um, it's been the coldest summer in California history since 1914 anyway uh, where crops aren't ripening I have I have gardens here and I gotta tell you it's been the worst summer for a garden we've ever received nothing's ripening uh, you know fruit won't ripen grapes won't ripen zucchini doesn't doesn't mature it's just dreadful so I mean and then we look at Russia with the fires and, it, and it's burned uh, and the drought there the, the, the winter wheat or the, or the wheat has, has been jeopardized now they're not going to export it the floods in China the floods in Pakistan I mean if they're talking now global global food shortage i've been saying this stuff for for the last two years you got to get at least four to six months worth of food canned goods stocked up get ready get yourself armed not to run around in a militia but you know you may have to defend your family look at what happened at katrina lawlessness will be the rule of the day if if if, if an event happens in this country and the federal government and the local police force can't be everywhere at once um, and you, we stockpile food, not to hoard it necessarily, but to share it with others in times of need. I mean, that's what, and what a great witnessing tool. You can tell people what's going on. Bottom line is this. We're told when we see these things, what things? Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places, famines and pestilence and troublesome times. This is what we're into, folks. And it says, Yeshua, Jesus tells us himself, when you see these things, look up, because your redemption, my second coming, is on the way. And that's that's the message of hope here. But before we get to the second coming, we're going to go through hell on earth, unfortunately. Mm, yes. You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't know if you know Dr. Chuck Baldwin. Um, I'm aware of him, sure. Yeah, he was a uh, uh, presidential candidate of the Constitution Party mm-hmm. and uh, been on our show a number of times. I just read this week uh, and talked with his staff today. He, he has moved his entire family, to extended family, to Montana. Uh, this past week, and they're moving lock, stock, and barrel. He's resigned from his pastorate, and he's getting ready for what he thinks is coming. Yeah, well, he he may be really wise. We also tried to do that um, uh, about three years ago when we had the house up for sale, and uh, for whatever reason, we are here um, apparently to stay. I'm not sure exactly why. I will say this, that uh, this last Wednesday I did another two-hour episode with the History Channel, um, and I spoke to the producers. They were reading, both producers were reading my book, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, and I came in specifically discussing the Book of Enoch, which I discuss at great length in in basically all three novels and, and all the books I've written. I always go back to that and allude to it. So it's sort of interesting, and, and they promised me, or they at least assured me, and it's good that I'm going on ahead of time here on your show to tell uh, tell the listeners that they they assured me that they wouldn't that the hatchet job that happened in the past wouldn't happen with me this time. So you know, fool me twice, shame on me. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, um, it'll uh, it, it, you know they'll actually post or or, or print or. Or what you know, what I what I said will not wind up on the editing floor. Sure. So we'll see what happens. Well, we should all pray about that. It's a lot yeah, at stake for that. We we've got to go, but I want to make sure it's clear. Uh, Politics, prophecy, and the supernatural conference here in Nashville, Tennessee, Anchor Fellowship, uh, October twenty second and twenty third. Uh, will you have a link on that on your website 
between now I and then. I absolutely will. Okay. And uh, what's coming up, just just for your listeners to understand, uh, to September 25th, I'll be back in Denver one night at the Rialto. Again, uh, politics, prophecy, and the supernatural. I will be there, um, and uh, September 25th, talking about. Uh, what is going on, and that's also going to be filmed. So, okay. uh, then I'm back in. I'm actually back in in Denver again. Uh, no, I'm sorry, back in Nashville again, fourth, uh, fifth, and sixth in November, um, at another um, um, uh, place, and I'll, I'll I'll get you more information on okay. that. So, yeah, we'll pass on the word. Up. Yeah, you might as well just move here. It sounds like you're going to be spending a lot of time here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Matuli, I sure appreciate you joining us back again on short notice and uh, sharing what's going on and giving us a, a good word, a good word of warning. Uh, everyone, check out his uh, his radio show, and uh, your website is www.lamarzuli.net. Lamarzuli.net. And that is a portal to get to your radio show, <laughs> your books, Not everything, right? Everything. World, but, okay, a web portal. Yeah. Okay. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank we sure you, Dr. Appreciate Future and uh, Tom Bionic. Always great to talk to you guys. Hey, yeah. knock another book out. We want to have you back for a full-blown show, okay? Well, I'm uh, in the process of doing that. It's called The Cosmic Chess Match, and it's uh, well on its way. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless, okay. guys. Yeah. Bye-bye. We're back in Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural Bio. Didn't know it was that funny, but you can say oh his catchphrase yeah. to the Slinky song. Yeah. It's real, it's burgeoning, and it's not going away. It's real, it's burgeoning, and it's not going away. I think you were really going to sing the song. it's not going away. Yeah, so y'all remember that. Yeah. Anyway. Sing it to him at the conference. Yeah. Go to theanchorfellowship.com. Mm-hmm. Anchorfellowship.com. There's a strange poster of an alien at the bottom. Click on it, and you'll find out the details. It's actually October 21st through 23rd. Mm-hmm. Uh, $20 for the whole event, $5 for a single session. There you go. And please check it out. Any other words? None. we got to go. Come back for tomorrow's Trimmers tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, wondering what's going on in Portugal. Bionic. You know, I'm sure everybody was thinking the same thing, too. Yeah. Um, don't get get closer to the mic. Oh, you, Every, you everyone you, you knows. You the back away thing. Try to get your microphone to move closer to Oh, you okay. So we can Sorry. actually record a signal for you. Okay. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. We do that every week. I ask him every week. Just like when I ask him what tomorrow's tremors is. Uh, oh, and I already blew it. I already said what it's it was. Tomorrow's Tremors. Friday is Tomorrow's Tremors, <laughs> today's review of the Future's News. And I got so flustered, I gave it away. Awesome. I'm sorry to take I away. I standard. <laughs> Been a long week. Dun, Ladies and gentlemen, it's great for you to be back with us dun, dun, dun. for another Future Quake <laughs> show. Uh, we have always got tons of news, more news than we can get to yeah. on our show today. Um, I, I want to thank some of our listeners who listen to... Even by Future Quake standards, one of our real tough shows on mm-hmm. the USS Liberty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate uh, some of you who emailed and said I was very, very skeptical. Because a lot of us that come from a prophecy background do not want to hear anything about the Israel thing. And mm-hmm. a lot of people gave it a hard listen, and it really moved them. And uh, I, we have a lot of brave listeners that uh, are willing to consider other ideas and grow and mm-hmm. not always agree with us. 
we don't always agree with each other. Yep. Or ourselves. Sometimes we don't even like each other. But I want to thank our listeners for for uh, their patience with us and maturity, and mm-hmm. uh, pray for us for discernment, like we tell the people who sure. email us. Please pray that we would mm-hmm. uh, be stronger in our knowledge in those areas. And something else to bring up, just real quick, for yeah, our listeners to yeah. pray about. Um, over the years, we're now in our six-year future quake. Uh, almost came to an end about three years ago, um, where we sort of got suggestedly moved moved off this other station we were at because of station our Christian content. X. Yeah. Uh, because of that, they did not want that Christian influence. Or in station we hate uh, exigence, maybe. Well, I don't know, but yeah. anyway, uh, we laid out a fleece and and WNO responded. And uh, since then, occasionally, there have been opportunities for us to possibly expand our reach in other mm-hmm. places. Um, one of the things that's really limited this is the fact that we don't have any money and we don't have a volunteer. Pen- we, have, yeah, we have a penny to our name. Yeah. This is volunteer. We live in tents. Uh, and uh, we've never really made it a money thing. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we've been hesitant to really ask for much or, or, or do much. Mm-hmm. But we also want to be obedient to the Lord. And we have no staff. Uh, Brother Tom over here has 800 ministries he runs, and so he's consumed with that. I try to keep the Future Quake ball going in production, and it's all I can handle. And Mrs. Future, uh, I know, would like me to take care of some things locally here rather than uh, take on more. And we know if we grow and expand, there'll be new responsibilities. And mm-hmm. uh, the Lord hasn't seen fit to send other people to help or do whatever for us to expand. But... I say all this because we had another opportunity came up for a couple major stations mm-hmm. who would at least like, at least initial talks, to see us on their stations and mm-hmm. some other markets. But it's a pretty significant yeah. cost outlay. A whole to bunch do of that. money that we don't have. That, exactly. Yeah. So what I want to ask our listeners, uh, we don't we don't care. We it's yeah. not an ego thing. We don't care to do whatever. If the money shows up, we'll do it. Ones. If it doesn't, but then uh, we're not going to do it. Brother Tom and even some other people, our listeners, have suggested we put a donation button on the website. So if the if the Lord leads you and you think that what we talk about should be heard about other places, uh, we, we'll probably make that provision available soon, at least if you're led to. And this mm-hmm. is not an ask for money. This is only if the Lord tells you. Yeah. If you, if you feel like, like support donating, yeah. good. If not. Yeah. Listen away yeah. and, and enjoy and be benefited by our show just like mm-hmm. normal. Uh, but if you do feel like this is something you think your neighbors, particularly other Christians who need to hear it, they don't know to go look on the Internet, they don't know even go look about these topics, we might catch them on the radio driving in their car mm-hmm. and hear this stuff. If if the Lord lays that on your heart um, and you feel suited to make a donation, if it's something that we see the Lord works it out suitable, then we may pursue these venues. Mm-hmm. If it's not meant to be, we'll just keep on trucking like we're doing. Mm-hmm. We don't know how else to do that. That's about as honest we can be. And uh, um, like I said, we're not here to build a a big empire. Mm -mm. Uh, We'd have to get the first brick to be able to do that. So we haven't gotten on that yet. Since we don't actually operate on any cash, it's like difficult to make any bricks. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we'll just leave it at that. Let y'all. But the reason I brought it up to you all is because I know I have met some incredibly wonderful Christians out there in our audience who probably should be running this show instead of us. Um, but you all have incredible wisdom and insight, and I value what your all's thoughts are. So if you want to drop an email with your thoughts mm-hmm. on whether you think it's warranted or not, um, there will be undoubtedly some cash impacts and things like that. And mm-hmm. if the donations carry it, then we don't have to deviate our time from research into 
you know, trying to raise money yeah. other ways well, like or I, not do it at all. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if the money comes in, we'll do it, uh, assuming that everything yeah. works out on the logistical yeah. end. And if it doesn't, then it won't happen. Right. That's, you that's mean really we, it. We're not going to sell prayer claws or anything no. like that? or uh, Bear claws? Some commitment. No, prayer claws, you know. What's a prayer claw? Uh, cloth. Oh, cloth. Cloth. Sorry, oh. cloth. Or, uh, you know, some commemorative edition of Future Quake Bible or something like yeah. that. Uh, just, let's just clean out our attics, like you know, old hammer. We'll get picture pi- of my grandmother. We'll get Pyro and Merv to work on that. Yeah. Maybe they can come up with some commemorative, yeah. like spoons. I'd yeah. like to get some commemorative spoons with our faces on it. I just let's just get the stuff out of our junk drawer. You know, yeah. like the seventh page of like an eight-year-old. Can you imagine phone bill? What an online future quake yard sale would look like. All the weird stuff we've collected over the years. My Devo Energy Dome helmet and. I've got yeah. space suits in there from my yeah. former movie the making zero, days. Zero patrol suit. Yeah. So we've you know Yeah. We'd have an interesting yard yeah. sale. But uh seriously, ladies and gentlemen, I'll just leave it at that. And we'll just see if the Lord does. If not, we just keep on keeping on. Keep on. And we'll keep leave it at on. that. We've got stories. You got stories? You I wanna start story. out? Um Yeah, this one this this is this is one that I I've talked to you about and I really feel led to talk about. So Okay. Um I'll, I'll go first this one time. And, uh, anyway, I'll get to it. Elite pedophile ring in Portugal. Uh, this is via Elite the garden. What ring? Elite pedophile. Pedophile? Pedophile, okay. Yes. Sometimes yeah, so P- sure P-E-A-D-O-file. But Sometimes pedophile. pedophile. Yeah, I guess what part of the world we are. Yeah. Um, one of Portugal's most famous television presenters and a former ambassador to UNESCO were among those who abused boys in a pedophile ring involving the country's state-run orphanages, excuse me, according to a court verdict released yesterday. So it's already been decided. They're guilty as charged. Uh, the verdict being read out today at a Lisbon court brings to an end the long-running scandal over a child prostitution racket involving young boys from the Casa Pia network of orphanages. Clients included people from the country's professional, government, and media elites, according to trial evidence. Systematic sexual abuse involving orphanage employees was also revealed. So, I mean, the short the short version is, is here are all the elites of the media, the government, and uh, professional classes all getting together to uh, abuse children and setting up uh, a ring to do that and, and prey on these kids in orphanages. It's really, it's bad, but it's something I've suspected that's been going on ever since I reviewed the Franklin cover-up. And you've heard things even, I'm sure like me, about even possible connections like the Bohemian Grove and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And yeah. Other uh, things. Yeah, prominent conservatives seem to about once a year sort of pop up yeah. with these kind of charges, and they all sort of magically uh, die down. Well, pedophilia seems to be patently satanic. Yeah. That is like one of their favorite I actually, satanic activities. Yeah, I actually asked a uh, uh, a friend of a friend who dealt with this sort of thing for uh, a prominent major police department in a major city. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, well, what percentage do you see these type of activities linked with, with you know, Satanism? And they said, 100% of the time. I've never investigated a case dealing with this sort of stuff where there hasn't been uh, occult ritual stuff going on. Yeah, as far as a ring. They're yeah. not talking about like an individual in a park, but they're talking about like a... A systematic well, ring thing. Well, he just he just said 100 percent of the time. Every time I've investigated yeah. this stuff, yeah. it's always 100 percent of the time it's huh. there's Satanism involved in some place. 
It's terrible. And they, these are very important people. Yeah, this is this was uh, one of Portugal's most famous television presenters, uh, a former ambassador to UNESCO, uh, as well as other people. Um, and as the, the, the article says, uh, uh, people from the professional government and media elites uh, were all found guilty of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlos Cruz guy, is the guy's name, mm-hmm. a married TV presenter who was once voted Portugal's most popular man, mm-hmm. uh, paid for sex with a 14-year-old boy, according to the Expresso newspaper's website. He also abused at least one other boy. Cruz, a father of two, became known as, quote-unquote, Mr. Television after several dec- decades of presenting. Um, it, there's, I mean, I could just, it's, it's just bad and yeah. more bad and yeah. more bad. Uh, but I'll, I'll just get on down here to, yeah. the, to end the article. Yeah. A former, a former senior government official also revealed that allegations of abuse at the orphanages, orphanages had been presented to the country's then president, General uh, Ramalho Eanes, in the 1980s. Former Secretary of State uh, for Families Teresa Costa Macado. Uh, I hope I said that right, uh, who presented the evidence to Rolojo Ends and sent a dossier to the police that was later lost. Mm-hmm. Said she received anonymous threats by phone and post. They said they would kill me, flay me, and a lot of other things, she said. Um, the Casapia Networks looked af- looks after about 4,000 children. Uh, it has cared for Portuguese orphanages for 230 years, so... It's really, really, really sad. Wow. It's, I mean, it's just like... That by itself is an absolute tragedy, but I'm sure you're like me. In your mind, you say, this is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Uh, perhaps, you know, we've done a lot of heavy, bad shows, you know, the Kinsey Syndrome being mm-hmm. one. Um, one thing that I'd like to expose our listeners to is possibly the Dutro Affair uh, or uh, uh, the Franklin case. The Franklin I have in my notes, my to-do notes. Yeah, that the Franklin other one case is so, the Franklin case is so bad that um, it's something that needs to be talked about. But I'm kind of glad we haven't because it's just so, so bad. But you know? the Christian community is not talking about it. Yeah, well, nobody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Christian, non-Christian, cats and dogs, you know. Mm-hmm. But as far as mercy and justice go. I think that one pretty much ranks right up there at the top of something that right. needs to be at least mentioned once. Well, in spiritual warfare. Oh, yeah, to say the least. Spirit, yeah. It's absolutely, it's absolutely just, it's terrible. It's it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So. And all this goes on under our nose. S- probably some of our very favorite politicians, some mm-hmm. of the people we admire, other mm-hmm. public figures, religious leaders, mm-hmm. people we would normally think. A lot of times what I've seen... Uh, wow! Well, is this yeah. another story you've got coming up? Yeah. Show me here. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's just bad. You want me to take? Yeah. Go through one real quick, and then yeah. you can get onto that. Mm-hmm. People can catch their wind after that one. Uh, this is from the Jerusalem Post, uh, uh, Associated Press. Uh, this you probably already read about this in the news, but but in in the the case of fair play, I want to make sure we bring this up. Uh, Hamas leader rejects compromise peace with Israel. Mahmoud Zahar criticizes Abbas for joining negotiations, says he has no right to represent the Palestinian people, claims the enemy of the Palestinian people is Zionist enemy. This is out of Gaza City. 
The top Hamas leader in the Gaza Strip has rejected compromise with Israel in a fiery speech Wednesday, a day after gunmen killed four Israelis. In an address to Hamas members, Gaza strongman Mahmoud Zahar said the movement would resist peace efforts and criticized the Palestinian president for joining the negotiations. Today marks the start of direct negotiations between someone who has no right to represent the Palestinian people and the brutal occupier to provide a cover for Judaism in Jerusalem and stealing the land, Zahar said. Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas has been locked in a fierce rivalry with Hamas since the group seized Gaza from his forces in a violent takeover in 2007, leaving him only in control of the West Bank. In a swift response to the shooting, Abbas's forces rounded up 250 low- and mid-level Hamas supporters throughout the West Bank in what the group said was the largest sweep in recent memory. Hamas officials called the roundup arbitrary and an act of treason. Abbas and Netanyahu are in Washington for a series of talks aimed at creating an independent Palestinian state alongside Israel within a year. Negotiations are to focus on core issues of the conflict, including the status of East Jerusalem, which the Palestinians want as capital for their future state, but Israel also claims. Hamas leaders have sarsely criticized Abbas in recent days for agreeing to resume negotiations with Israel. The enemy of the Palestinian people is the Zionist enemy, Zahar said. Zahar rejected the idea of compromise with Israel, saying that liberating all the land between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River, a reference to Israel's destruction, is a moral and religious duty. He said Palestinians must not abandon armed resistance against Israeli occupation. Despite Zahar's tough words, it's unclear whether the militants will try to derail the negotiations with more attacks or whether the shooting was an isolated incident. Hmm. Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak wrote in an op-ed piece in the New York Times on Tuesday, the reconciliation between Hamas and Abbas's Fatah movement is critical to achieving a two-state solution and renewed an offer of Egyptian mediation. Hamas expert Khalid Haroub said the group would keep acting as a spoiler if it is not accommodated. You have to engage with Hamas, not because you like or dislike them, Haroub said, because pragmatically, these are the people who can deliver. Hmm. So, you know, I know we've said some things recently that found it critical of some things Israel's done in their yeah. past. Well, there's plenty of criticism to go on the other but, side. But these too. guys, they don't want to talk. Hamas does not want to talk about peace. They don't want yeah. to deal. Now, they think they've been shut out of it, but they, they took over for Abbas. Now, I'm sure they would say Abbas is a is a... Jewish plant, that he's like an Israeli yeah. plant, and he's not yeah. the I real mean, leader. Like, you think we're conspiracy theorists, talk to Palestinians. Yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're like... Right. <laughs> but you know what? Just please pray, everybody, for the Palestinian people and the Israeli people. Sure. It's not going to... It's going to be the innocent people who suffer. These it, terrible yeah. people in charge yeah. in front of all these people cause all... They don't suffer. It's the, it's the poor folks that suffer. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I, it's difficult with the Palestinians is that supposedly, unless their election machines, their voting machines are as bad as ours, supposedly they vote in a lot of these people. Yeah. And, of course, you know, if you were a child and you were watching cartoons when you were a kid of putting bombs on your back as a kid, mm-hmm. it's going to affect who you are. I mean, sure. <laughs> heaven forbid how we're going to think people to think otherwise. It, it, it comes as close, this situation, to the definition of intractable that I know. So mm-hmm. all I know, you all, you know, folks, you can do is pray for peace, pray for the innocent to be protected, and for the guilty to come under judgment. I'll tell you, man, it's so frustrating, um, frustrating for me, because I read the Old Testament, and it seems like there's just no end 
pretty much, uh, to my reading, like a fourth of what God says is do justice. You know, you could you could roughly say about a fourth of God's commands are yeah. do justice and do mercy, do good. And that is like pretty much right out the window. Take care of the fatherless yeah. and the widow. Mm-hmm. Um, don't have dishonest weights and measures. All that stuff. That's the prophets talk about. Now, people say, oh, they're talking about social gospel. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm not talking about socialism. I'm yeah. not talking about the government, the state doing this. Back in those days, there was a theocracy in Israel, mm-hmm. and they had to do all of it. But he said, look out for the fatherless and the widow. widow. Mm-hmm. Here we have a secular state that is supposed to arbitrate disputes in court or mm-hmm. you know law enforcement. But we have this thing called the church these days. And the church, I think these, these concerns are addressed to not to the government. The church has the mission as a covenant people of God to address the fatherless and the widow, to address sure. these kind of things. Uh, I don't think government is even suited to be able to do it in a morally responsible way. So, pretty much, you know. But you're one of them liberals. You don't have a social gospel. Taking care of people. Yeah, you know, not shooting them. That's right. How dare you? That's Liberal. right. Stinking hippie. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think you're with me. The government's not the one that needs to be doing it. The church sure. is the one that needs to wake up and realize yeah. to take care of the people in the public education community. started by. Uh, a guy praying, you know, that he wanted to do something good. Uh, orphanages were started that way, you yeah. know, on and on and on. Boy, if they would Hospitals. see, like, publication now, it would be like that Indian and that old commercial with a tear coming down his cheek when he saw the trash. <laughs> it would be terrible. He'd be praying against public yeah. education. Do you have another inspiring, uh, yeah, uplifting another, story, another, another Joel Osteen-ish kind of uh, yeah. uplifting story? Pentagon declined to investigate hundreds of purchases of child pornography uh, by their employees. Okay. Um, this is via Yahoo News. A 2006 Immigration and Customs Enforcement investigation into the purchase of child pornography online turned up more than 250 civilian and military employees of the Defense Department, including some some with the highest available security clearance, uh, whose credit cards or PayPal to purchase images of child in sexual situations. Uh, but the Pentagon investigated only a handful of the cases Defense Department records show. The cases turned up during a 2006 ICE uh, inquiry called Project Flickr, which targeted overseas processing of child porn payments. As part of the probe, ICE investigators gained access to the names and credit card information of more than 5,000 Americans who had subscribed to websites offering images uh, of child pornography. Many of those individuals provided military email addresses or physical addresses with Army or fleet zip codes when they purchased the subscriptions. Um... It goes on here. In a related inquiry, the Pentagon's Defense Criminal Investigation Service, uh, DCIS, cross-checked the ICE's uh, list against military databases to come up with a list of defense employees and contractors who appeared to be guilty of purchasing child pornography. The names included staffers for the Secretary of Defense, contractors for the Ultra-Secretive National Security Agency, uh, and a program manager for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA. Uh, but the DCIS opened investigations, and only 20% of the individuals identified and succeeded in prosecuting just a handful. Hmm. So there you go, about 500 of them, and they're just like, oh, well, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get the one of those main players in NSA being founder of Temple of Set, mm-hmm. 
you know. It tends to influence the work culture. culture. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Well, um, speaking of that, I've got one sort of a military-related one. Yeah, me too. Um, if I can share that quickly, yeah. a short one. Um, uh, this comes out of The Guardian. Um, Vietnam's Wandering PSYOP Souls. I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, out no. of the Yeah. Uh, out of the night sky came an ominous warbling whine like bagpipes punctuated with cymbals. It was Buddhist funeral music, a dissonant dirge cascading from the darkness, then a snatch of dialogue between a mother and a child. Mother, where is Daddy? Don't ask me questions. I am very worried about him. But I miss Daddy very much. Why has he gone so long? It was only one of many sights and sounds that the Viet Cong are greeted to every day, courtesy of Just Pao, the United Joint United States Public Affairs Office, which handles psychological warfare in South Vietnam. Funeral dirges howl nightly over Viet Cong, along with the tape-recorded cries of little children and weird electronic cacophonies intended to raise terrifying images of forest demons among the superstitious terrorists. Um, and there's a book, Mirage Men, that's been written about this. Uh, there's some comment here. It says, in Mirage Men, I point to a number of different ways in which regional beliefs and folklore have been used as covers for covert operations by British and American military and intelligence agencies. Exploiting local superstition and belief was, and still is, a standard and slightly unorthodox practice for psychological warfare specialists. And it says, and even UFOs are one of many disguises that these teams would pull out of the dress-up box uh, if and when it was appropriate. Uh, one of the favorites this author had was one called The Wandering Soul, deployed by the U.S. Army 6th PSYOP Battalion of Vietnam. The eerie, reverb-heavy sounds featuring recorded voices and traditional Vietnamese funeral music tell the story of the lost soul of a man killed far away from home, speaking to his living daughter. The recording would be played via backpack or helicopter-mounted speakers and was so effective that U.S. soldiers would regularly be freaked out when they heard it at night. The U.S. soldiers would. Yeah. Okay. It also had a reputation for always drawing enemy fire, so not a mission to be undertaken lightly. Hmm. There was a understanding back then that if you didn't receive a proper burial in Vietnam, mm-hmm. that you were a lost soul and that you'd wander. And mm-hmm. so they were doing like a Tokyo Rose where they may, and you can find the music. I found out it is one of the most disturbing things to listen to of music. And they would play this and you would hear a voice of this wandering soul that had died on the battlefield that wanted to contact his daughter but couldn't. Mm. Far out. That's weird. I don't know about you. That That disturbs me. Yeah, that's scary. I mean, that, to me, some ways that's almost like worse than waterboarding and things like that. Oh, when I don't you know get, if I'd go that far. But when you get between somebody's ears like that and do, when I mean, you mess with their religion and stuff like that. Well, I don't know. Uh, war is war. I, I'd have to go on that one. Okay. You know? So you're 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 Mister Hardback, Mister. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm flip flop. General Patton, yeah. shoot the the uh, army bonus army, yeah. right? That's your yeah. position. If I catch you now. in bed, I'm going to slap you just like General <laughs> Patton. Wow, well, I didn't expect that out of you. Sorry, that's okay, Mister Hard Nose. Yep. I guess when I'm in the FEMA camp, I'll know who's been on the other side in the. Uh, it's all those, it's all those years as being a you know interrogator. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't realize you'd be. Siding with the man. Yeah. On that particular one, I think I'd have to be. Got about a minute. Okay. 
Uh, gosh, this one. This is like a three-pager. I'll just read the headline and we can discuss. Okay, i got to catch you off. Afghan drug trade. Most of the government officials are involved. <clears throat> when it's harvest time in the poppy fields of Kandahar, dust-covered Taliban fighters pull on their motorbikes, pull up on their motorbikes to collect a 10% tax on the crop. Afghan police arrive in Ford Ranger pickups bought, bought with U.S. aid money and demand their cut of the cash in exchange for promises to skip the farms during annual eradication. Then usually late one afternoon, a drug trafficker will roll up in his Toyota Land Cruiser with black tinted windows and send a footman to pay the farmers in cash. The farmers never see the boss, but they suspect he's a local power broker who has ties to the U.S.-backed Afghan government. More time or am I out? No, give it another 30 seconds. The narcotics trade in Afghanistan would be impossible without government officials and the Taliban on the payroll, said the man in the brown turban. The link between them is a natural one. The man should know. He's a drug dealer in Kandahar who provides money to purchase opium called from poppy on local farms and arranges for it to be shipped to markets near the city. So, from a drug trafficker. You know, drug... Okay, I'm done. So, they're saying U.S. officials are involved in a lot Yeah, they're saying... Uh, well, they're saying the U.S.-backed Afghan government. Everybody in the Afghan government has mm-hmm. got their hands in the cookie jar. Mm-hmm. And and he's also saying that... Well, at least we have an accomplishment after nine years. The U.S. is... Yeah, the U.S. has got their hand in the cookie jar, too. Although, that may be a little bit... Okay. Uh, ...heavy for ten seconds to prove. Well... Somebody else we can grab is Merv who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, come back next week for another interesting guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.